Welcome to the Oscar Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and a revolving co-host will discuss, assess, evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who should have won podcast. We are here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Again, that's an email, bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. We are here today to discuss 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'm here with Joey R. Joey, how you doing today, man? Great. How are you doing, Kieran? I'm doing good. Um, it's uh, taken us a, a little while to connect the schedule, but we're here. I'm excited to talk about, really, I mean, I will do a spoiler where we're out of the gates. I just well, uh, what I think is probably one of the best movies on this list. Another Jack Nicholson piece as we discussed The Departed last episode. Joey, what's your uh, what's your past of this movie? What's your first experience? What's your most recent experience? Talk so, to me. So I started with a bar in Wontaw called R.P. McMurphy's before I ever saw the movie. Uh, they had $5 pitchers and peanuts. Um, Boom. And people would talk about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest there, but they hadn't seen it at that point. Then as I'm going through school for psychology and whatnot, everyone tells me it's something I should see. So I saw it, and I loved it. And, yeah, and then, uh, why don't you tell why don't you tell us, uh, everyone a little bit about what you do for a living? So uh, I'm a clinical social worker. Uh, I work in a substance abuse mental health. Well, I'm a director of a substance abuse mental health program. So today I'm finally using my diagnosis skills for something um, less serious than what I normally do, and <laughs> something fun: getting Jack Nicholson diagnosed. <laughs> Absolutely. We love it. You know, what we talked about, we first talked about the advent of this podcast and you're one of the first people I brought it up to and you know, you were, you're gung-ho to be involved and we kind of talked about what would be the first one you'd want to tackle, the first movie you'd want to tackle and I think we both kind of just came up with this one and thought it'd be perfect with, with what, you know, with what you do in your field and the themes that this movie touches on. I'm excited for it. Yeah, it's a perfect fit. It's a movie that holds up today and even rewatching it two weeks ago. In full, I was blown away by how much, how it just got me the entire time. I was enthralled. I was never bored. I watched it a second time just to make sure my notes were as detailed because it was so good. I lost track of taking notes and just enjoying what was going on in front of me, which says a lot. I gotta, I gotta echo that as well. When it comes to, to, to a lot of these movies and even movies where someone's just like, you gotta see, and if it's like an old time movie and it's not necessarily what we're conditioned to watch in 2019... Or if I'm not in the movie theater. If I'm in a movie theater, I can pretty much, I can, I can get lost Same. in whatever's in front of me. But if I'm watching an old-time movie, if I'm watching a movie I think is going to be a little dense, a little longer, a little more designed to educate, I'm usually a two-sitting guy. I'll, I'll watch the first half, I'll take a little break, or I'll even wait till the next day. One of my favorite movies ever, Lawrence of Arabia, I highly encourage anyone who's watching that movie to watch it in two sittings. It's designed that to be almost, two movies. It's almost designed that to be two movies. That should be two movies. We're talking about a four-hour movie with an intermission. Unbelievable movie. Two, as two movies, that holds up better. But I'm the same way. In a theater, I'm good. I can watch mm -hmm. whatever. Normally, watching something, especially if it's something, hey, you got to watch this. I'm on Twitter, 
I'm doing other things. With this, I look, I'm taking my notes on my phone. I see, found myself kept putting my phone down. And my recent watch of this was the same. I got lost in this right out of the gate. There was no, there was no pause. There was right. no break. There was no second sitting. The entire movie felt like a half hour to me. Flew. It was just. I was surprised how short it was. Then I looked at the runtime. Same as you. I was blown away. And noticing little things, they bring you in right, just right away. How quickly you get brought into the first group session, and it's just it's just a dynamic where you're seeing these guys who know each other, and there's an intimacy with them. So you get brought right into it, which is unbelievable. That you forget what you're doing. It's visually enticing. The audio is incredible. The acting is off the wall good. The cast is incredible. It's just a, it's a definitely a delight. So let's get to it. The year's 1975. Gerald Ford is in his first full year in the office of the White House. The Reds defeat the Red Sox in seven games. That's, of course, the 1975 World Series. The infamous Carlton Fisk. <laughs> infamous depending on who you're a part of. But he wins on the walk-off in game six. And the Red Sox lose in game seven. And if you're not a baseball fan and just a movie fan... That's referenced in Good Will Hunting by Robin Williams when he's discussing how he met his wife. Unbelievable scene there, too. Talk about other rewatchability. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> we, can, we can revisit that for sure. And the number one song of the year in 1975 is Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain and Tennille. Quite a year. Quite a year. So this movie wins the best picture, along with several others. It is on AFI's 98 list, top 100 list. It's number 20. They redo the list in 2007. It's 33. Oscars go across the board in this one to Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. Only three movies have won all five major awards. Silence of the Lambs being one. It Happened One Night being another. Both movies we will obviously in the future discuss as they are Best Picture winners. How rare that is is absolutely unbelievable. It to is. hit that out of the park like that, how do you even do that? Yeah, yeah, and it just takes it takes great performances from everyone. Those are the five Oscars it wins. It's directed by Milos Foreman, based on a book by Ken Casey. It's written by Lawrence Hauber and Bo Goldman, obviously starring Jack Nicholson. Louise Fletcher, both who win Oscars. Will Sampson, who plays Chief. We have Scatman Crothers, <laughs> Vincent Schiavelli. Turkle. Yes, and the <laughs> film debuts of Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, and Brad Dorif. Brad Dorif is nominated for Best Supporting Actor, does not win in this one. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Screenplay. It's nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Cinematography, Film Editing, and Music Screenplay. Music score, rather. This is a heavy hitter, man. This is uh, this is an all-timer. There's so much good about it. I, I think I think one of the most ridiculous things is finding out that neither of us have read the book. Two people who read quite avidly. It, it is true, and I gotta <laughs> be honest on this one. I'd love to, I'd love to uh, sell this a little better, but I'm gonna lift the curtain. I took the book out from the library. I sort of looked at it. I read a couple pages. And then thought maybe I'd rather just cliff note it a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just because of time frame. I'm a, I'm a, I read for I read for pleasure. I read for enjoyment. I don't read for time constraints. I gave that up after I was a college English major. Oof, I yeah. had to do that on a regular basis. And when I got my diploma, my days of having to deadline read <laughs> were over. Understand? Yeah. It it, it it's not a book I've read. It's a book I, I do want to read. It's definitely um, on my list now, just because. 
how good the movie is, it has to have to see where it came from. One of the great things about this movie, right out of the gate, is this is filmed in an authentic mental institution. Yeah. With, and a, a lot of the extras are real people who worked there. It felt it felt enclosed, which it didn't feel too open. It didn't feel fake. Listen, if you told me Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd were mental patients who became actors from this movie, I'd believe you. It was so there was there was a comfort level to it that I think is not is lost in many other movies about mental illness and hospitals that I don't think you see a lot. So I think this really had it, and that's what made it. I mean, the employees felt like they were employees. They knew how to move in psych wards. And if, you never, if you've ever been in a psych ward, you see these sort of things. Even, you know, I was in it 40 years, 50 years later, but there's still certain ways of doing things and the medications, and they, they nailed it. There was a claustrophobia to it that I think was... Is a compliment, yeah. not a bad such, thing. Such authenticity. Right up to the actor who plays Dr. Spivey, who is in that famous initial scene with, with Jack Nicholson, Dean R. Brooks. I really don't know doctor. doctor. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> and he's, a, he's an authentic doctor. He was a doctor right. there, and he ser also served as a um, as someone who advised on, Which is, on how things are done and, and where it goes. So. And I mean, his part, his part was the, what, when he came in and when, after the boat situation, when they were deciding of keeping him, right? Those were his two big, and those were two, those pretty much drove everything that happened throughout, right? Those are the two turning uh, we're points. We're going to absolutely talk about that second scene you referenced of course. there. When we get into Louise Fletcher's Nurse Ratchet, who is as fascinating of a villain as there is on this list. Yeah. Multi-layered, multi-sided. Really complex and yet really direct and simple at the same time. Right, a a psychological villain who's so upfront that it's it takes a second sometimes to see what she's doing, even for the watcher. It's not there's there's nothing heavy handed about it, which I think is why it's so impressive and why when you read it, she doesn't go back and watch it because she was so blown away by how evil she really was. Yeah, there's a lot of what went on in the filming of this that left such an impact on this cast that I don't think many of them were were going to the debut of this <laughs> film in Hollywood. You know, they're, 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 uh, you have... These are method actors up and down. They all lived in the institution. They lived as inmates, uh, as in uh, patients. At this um, time, it was... Well, he's an inmate. The rest were patients, yeah, right, okay, as we right, find right, out yes, through the context. Yes, yes. So but they're, they're living in this. Milos Forman, the director, is living in there too. He mm -hmm. spends two weeks there. Uh, this is as authentic as you get. And as he's filming the movie, this is not a direct cut movie. He's keeping the cameras rolling. He's right. getting them on their breaks. He's getting... I mean, there's... You have... Danny DeVito said he had to invent a, an imaginary friend to keep Which his Which is sanity. unbelievable. It, it is. And, and you know, we're going to talk about it's these different. references in Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> later. Frog There's, Boy. Yeah, Frog Boy. Yeah, <laughs> the Frog that, Boy. That, that, that becomes a character. It has to come from Frog Boy, right? Because right. Right. And when we talk about the authenticity and the claustrophobia, they were living in it. The movie outside, the movie mostly takes place in two rooms. The bedroom slash group room and the shower room. Outside of the fish, the fishing scene. Right, the and, fishing and the, scene and the, the basketball scene. The whole movie scene. is shot in sequence. So right. the beginning of the movie, with the exception of the fishing scene. We right. did the fishing scene afterwards because it was off location. It's shot in sequence. There's nothing. They don't go back and reshoot or do anything. They start from the beginning. They go all the way. So you get the progression of these characters. You get what they're going through, how they're interacting. And the relationships are building. And I think as we see their relationships build in the movie, it's building in real life, which adds so much just dynamic that you can't fake and and the when we talk about the relationships building too, it's not just 
their relationships with each other. It's how they're now relating to the outside influence mm -hmm. of the world that they've kind of sheltered themselves in. And, you know, I want to talk about the, let's start from the start. Let's start with the opening scene. You get that, that great shot Beautiful. from the outside. The car approaching. When you see Nurse Ratchet walk in, she's walking in in the black mm -hmm. jacket. Dark, dark green, dark jacket. Stands out immediately. Everything else is white. Mm -hmm. And beautiful. And then beautiful, there's this darkness. White, right. Serene. She walks in. Everybody's in white. Everybody's wearing white. Tight, clean. The next person you see walk in in black is Jack Nicholson. He's got his black cap. Mm -hmm. He's got his black jacket. These are the two polarizing forces from the outside that are entering... That are about to destroy They're entering chaos. the arena. And, and they, they set it up right away. Because they are the North Pole and the South Pole, yeah. and we'll see where the magnets go. Because you see her, she walks in, her face is stoic. His face is aloof, cocky, kind of smart-ass smirk, and she comes in, there's nothing phasing her. It's her walking in, mm -hmm. I own this place, yep. and him walking in, I'm going to own this place. <laughs> yep, you and feel the conflict. Yeah. You yeah. don't need some BS exposition... This is just good movie making where you know what you're looking at right away and you know this is who I have to watch. And now you have the two, the two walking in in the black as they go in. In that first scene in the circle. The first group, yeah. Yes. Well, we'll you know, before, actually right before I talk about that, I want to talk about the medication scene where they're all getting in line. This is before we see Jack Nicholson. They're all getting in line together. Right, just medication. the initial we see. And the, the music that played in the intro to this podcast it is playing and it, you just get this serene... Feel. It's order. Total order. It's order. Control. Nobody blinking an eye. Right in line. Here's your medication. Here's your medication. Nobody going out of line. This is what it is. I take it. There's really no questions right. asked. It feels unbroken. And the opening scene outside, you get that kind of wild, weird track playing mm -hmm. with the, the, the Indian drum beating right. and then that, that bizarre instrument and it's the slow... And you have this surreal feel. Because you're not sure what it is. You don't know what it is. I, and, and just it feels the way dreamy. that plays, it's dreamy, it's surreal. So you go from the surreal to the serene. Right. And just that, that where the way it opens is you don't know whether you're going to watch Dances with Wolves or Close Encounters of the Third Planet. Right. It's a movie called... An alien's going to land or an Indian's going to roll it's out of the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. What the hell's going on? Is, it, right. is, yeah. are, is there going to be a charge, Cowboys and Indians battle right, right now? Right, exactly. Because it's just... Because it's almost like two separate types of music on top of each other in this view that you're not sure what you're looking at. It's a lot. To t it's really cool how they do it and bring you in right away. And the score is done by Jack Nietzsche, who is nominated for for best score in this one. Also gets nominated again. Does Moulin Rouge, and wins an Oscar for his for best original song because he also does the screenplay. Uh, uh, the sorry, I said the second time I do that. He does the score for Officer and Gentleman. Oh, really? Yep. He wins uh, Best Original Song for Up Where We Belong, which is the famous uh, Joe Cocker, Jennifer Warren song. I'll do it. <clears throat> Love lift us up where we belong, where the mountains high and the eagles fly. Sorry for that. All right. Um, yeah, so that's so that he went, That's where he wins his, his. But a phenomenal score. It sets the tone. And then he almost... Those two songs, those two pieces in the beginning stick out so much because it's the first thing you get. And then the music just kind of blends into itself and the score blends into itself right. as, as it goes on. It becomes part of the world, which is a good score. It doesn't stand out. It doesn't take away. It keeps you in. Now let's talk about that circle, the, the, first, the, first, the group. first group meeting. 
first thing I noticed about that first group, they're all dressed in the exact same color. Exact same color. You Blown got away. It just yeah. keeps with the, like we were talking about that flow. They're all wearing the same color. There's a routine to it. The questions of it. Okay, what do you have? I don't have anything. And then we know that it's Harding right yeah. away. And Harding has that robe. Yep. So he's the only one because he's got kind of this... Similar color, but he's the out, outlier. I'm smarter than right. everyone. I'm be, you know, I, no. I can't have a smoking jacket, but I have a robe. Yes, yes. That's how I'm separating myself. So he's, at this point in this world of order, he's the big dog in the room. In his mind. In, in his, his mind. mind. And Whereas no one takes him seriously. No one, they're and all so laughing it's a, at him. It's a phony. Yeah, it's, <laughs> right. a, it's a cloak. It's a phony cloak. Right. But in his mind and in this world with this order, none of them are going to fight it because who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. This guy wants this. Fine. He's going to talk the most anyway. He's going to. He's yeah. out there doing this. But there's the order to it. And yeah. That, and you have Cheswick, you know, trying to stick up for him. I'm trying to stick up for you. I don't need you to defend me. <laughs> and Cheswick. the others are just picking on him. And I mean, they're just laughing at him. You got Tarber just laughing and... Chris Lloyd in his... Uh, like Christopher Lloyd just, yeah, just... Um, in his most great. Christopher Lloyd. It's unbelievable. Incredible. And, and yeah, his first role, too, which is... Again, um, you, you could tell me that he was a patient there and just started acting because he really liked the experience, and I'm all in on that. Yeah, yeah, and... Like, I Doc think, Brown started in a psych ward. Uh, uh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and obviously, that's what, you know, most of us know him as. And uh, that's obviously the iconic role he has, but it's But just it's such an unbelievable thing. start. Like, to think yeah. that he came from this movie, and really, if we went around asking people, hey, where did Christopher Lloyd start? I don't think people are thinking... I think most people would probably go Taxi, right? Taxi, yeah. I know he's in Clue. Uh, that's much right, later. That's 90s, though. Yeah, that's, that's probably after. Yeah, that's after. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which so, unbelievable movie. Yeah. But it's yeah. after that. So I get Taxi and, and uh, DeVito's in Taxi here with him. So oh, right. DeVito's in Taxi yeah, too, right. See, taxi. they left the psych ward together and went to right. drive taxis in New York. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the Tauber, and, and I love the Tauber interaction with with Harding. And it, when there's a scene a little later on in the movie where they're playing Monopoly, it's Harding's turn and play the game, play the game. I am playing the game. Play the game. Quit bullshit. Play the game. I am playing the game. Play the game. And he's poking him and he's prodding he's him. Just pushing. And he's just, yeah, and it's just, you know, it, it's just, the, the tension is tremendous. Because you read Harding's anxiety and they know what it is. And in front of Nurse Ratchet, they all kind of pull back. But now when it's Monopoly time, they know they can push. Mm -hmm. And they know they can mess with him. And that's, mm -hmm. that's almost, the, and, but that's what you get, that intimacy from that group. These people who have been together for a while. We have no idea timeline you get the feeling that these men have been there for a long time together they know when harding starts talking about his wife what they're talking about you know cheswick is going to sit in they have when you talk about when you learn about group dynamics there's roles of groups there's the monopolizer there's the scapegoat there's all these different things and how people play out these roles when a group stays together for a long time these roles really strengthen themselves and they are in that they are in that this is the roles they play who's the wise ass mancini's just the chaos but they pull it all together because they're like a better word homogenous almost this is yeah. what they are this is their life harding is going to tell you this story about his wife yeah. they are all gonna not take him serious cheswick is going to try to save him yeah no matter what we do with these groups of men and Nurse Ratchet, she might roll her eyes, she might do these things, but she loves it because she knows there's order, she knows she's in control, she knows whatever she needs to do, she could do. Yeah, and I, I love that scene. I look because I think a lot of, and and we find out later on in the movie that, and it's it's much to the chagrin of, of Jack Nicholson as he's stunned to hear it. 
that almost all of them are there on their own voluntary. Unbelievable seat. Unbelievable the, turn. Incredible. Incredible. And what's interesting to me is that the ones that are not, it's essentially they're all there voluntarily except for uh, Tarber, Tarber mm -hmm. Chris Lloyd's character, and then Chief. Right. So the others are all there, and he's just, you? You? Billy, come on. You could be out there being a stud. Right. You know what? And, right. Billy, um, you could be out there grabbing tits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's Harding is, to me, is the quality in all these guys that is afraid of the outside world right. that wants to stay in here. And I have a quote from that, from the scene that you just referenced about them talking about his wife. And this is Harding. I'm not just talking about my wife. I'm talking about my life. Mm -hmm. I can't seem to get that through to you. I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. Do you understand? And, and when you first see, see that scene, it's just this is just guys, this is just guys just nuts and he's just yammering on. But in that in that paragraph, it really is thematic of a lot of the whole movie that these guys cannot deal with the outside world and this place is a comfort zone for them. It's and safety. Mc, and McMurphy comes in and shakes that Destroyed up. because that's that quote is unbelievable because it says so much. Because you could picture a different world two years ago where Harding is managing a bank. Yeah, and he has yeah. a wife with two kids, and he comes home one day early, and the wife's cheating on him with the tennis pro, yeah. and he goes to stand up. He's Andy Dufresne if he doesn't drink, right? There you go. That's right. <laughs> right? Andy That's Dufresne right. doesn't come home drunk that night, and he's a little bit more anxious. He might be Harding. I still don't forgive Andy Dufresne for not having that beer on the roof. Come on, man. You're locked up. I realize you're the you gave up drinking, but come on, man. You're, you're the hero. You're allowed to have, have one. one beer. Jeez. All but right. for that scene with Harding, because it's so much, and it shows, because not knowing at that time, because at that time, we don't know who it is, but the assumption is that they're all there, because we've, we see McMurphy coming in handcuffs, so we're thinking they're all there in handcuffs. So maybe we're thinking, did Harding kill his wife? You know, you can make a lot of assumptions. But to find out then later that he's not there, you really see the safety. Like you said, yes. that, that is their world. They like the cocoon. Yeah, you know, Billy can't handle it because Billy can't handle rejection, which we're going to talk about a lot later. 100%. While we had beer on the topic here, I'm drinking a, a six-point sweet action here. I got a Montauk Session. Montauk Session, bridging off from the uh, last episode. We like that. I, I like... So it's Nicholson and Montauk Session so far as your common threat. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And there's one more Nicholson movie on this list where there'll probably be more Nicholson talk there. We talked about the reveals there of the inmates being there on a voluntary basis. The other obvious big reveal of this book, movie. of the movie, it's not in the book, the, he's the narrative book, is Chief. Chief, they, they let you kind of believe he's this... They don't let you believe. They tell they you. They tell you straight up. Yeah, he's a deaf <laughs> Native American Indian. We'll, we'll use the Indian term in this because it was the terminology right. in the movie. We're not. That's what we got. You know, for the PC police out there, we'll, we're, we're, we're trying to stick with the 1975 lingo here. So Chief is is that is in that great basketball scene, which is when I first saw this was instantly my favorite scene in the movie. Just, just, just to feel good beating the guards and him teaching him basketball. What are you talking to him for? You talking to him for? He can't hear you. Like, I'm not talking to him, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Helps me think. And it's just great stuff. Um, and then it, later on, when they're sitting there, and he offers him the, the, the gum, mm -hmm. and Chief takes it. And, Thank you. <laughs> juicy fruit. You know, just, the juicy fruit. And then Nicholson's eyes in this most Nicholson Nicholson-ness. You crazy just... son of a bitch. You did it. You fooled him. 
You fooled him, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it. And then Chief ends up with some good lines talking about his dad, talking about so many things. And I mean, I, think, I think my favorite Chief line is the whole thing when he says, it might be, you know, easier for you, you're bigger than me, when he says it to McMurphy, who he's two feet and 110 pounds bigger than. And it just says so much about the character and why yeah. he pulled himself into a world where he, everyone thought he was deaf and... Deaf and dumb, as the and, 1960s would have us quote him as. And from what I understand, the book really focuses on his relationship with his father and his family. And they kind of only give you we get a that quote. one little monologue. You have right. the... I got it. Okay, you got so it. So this is, this is really what we get from Chief's background. My pop was real big. He did like he pleased. That's why everybody worked on him. The last time I seen my father, he was blind and diseased from drinking. And every time he put the bottle to his mouth, he didn't suck out of it. It sucked out of him until he shrunk so wrinkled and yellow, even the dogs didn't know him. McMurphy says, killed him, huh? And Chief says, I'm not saying they killed him. They just worked on him the way they're working on you. Yeah. Yeah. So it, sh um, it shows a lot. What I mean, especially as the movie goes and where different, you know, things come out where Chief's looking at alcohol. Chief's looking at how it took him down and... I mean, grander themes even. We know Native Americans, reservations, the extreme levels of substance abuse and suicide, way more than outside society. And, you know, these are things that Chief's hitting in a five-line statement that says so much from the guy who doesn't speak. We talked about the film debuts of Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, and Brad Dorf. This is also the, the film debut for the actor who plays Chief, which is Will Sampson. And the interesting thing about that is... This is obviously an adaptation from Ken Casey's book where he's described as this, this giant Native American. They had a hell of a hard time finding someone who could even play that role. Right. You know, we're talking about, you know, 1975, you're going through reservations trying to find... Obviously, you know, you're, you now have to find a, a, a mountain of a man that's going to play this role. Unless you're going to be tricky with the camera, which you could do, I guess. Which you know, would get they, real hard for some of these scenes when they're they throwing water logs. They make look like a normal-sized person, so maybe you, can, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can make a normal-sized person look we like We'd have cheap. to have Jack running the whole time. So they, so they find him in an Oregon, an Oregon reservation where he is – someone recommended to him, like a, 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 a park ranger said, well, you know, you've got this guy over here. He's huge. They convinced him to do it. And he's so he forget about it being a film debut. He's never acted before, right? And really, to me, just does a really excellent job. I mean, oh, he sells it, so much. That yeah. last scene with him is unbelievable. It's just, there's it's, people train their whole lives who can't get that much of emotion out of it. It's an iconic, iconic role, right? I mean, think. I mean, just think about the movie. We talked. You know, you spoke quickly about it's always sunny. The that parody there. The Simpsons did it. This like the South Park said. Simpsons did it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but. It's a role that for the never acting before, never having an idea to go right into that is unbelievable. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, when you, you make the decision to go authentic over actor, it's a tricky move. And sometimes it pays off big. Mm -hmm. Like in this instance, it does where you just you, you took someone who who lived the role. And then other times, you know, it, it can be dicey. I always look go back to Breaking Bad and Walt Jr., who is uh, were you a breaking game? Never seen it. Yeah, okay. Never, so his to, son, this, to dismay of many. Yeah, his his son in the in in the show is one of the is really kind of the only real blemish on the show in my opinion is acting is just isn't there and it's a tough a tough deal. So they went authentic with his handicap. Uh, and oh, it's a little, yeah. yeah, a little rough. I think the chief it, hits nailed it, out it here of the because park. and you know what they could because they call him chief. So you you know, they could have started getting, you know, this is 1975. They could start getting a little questionable with race, questionable mm -hmm. with different things to fit. They found authentic and 
it worked in every way. There's no way you could say this didn't work because of this or this piece didn't work. It worked across the board. How, how are they with race in this on the other end of things, you know, with the, with the black orderlies? I mean, you, you feel... I, I, I think if that was, if the year was 2019, I think we'd have issues. I think if we're looking at 1963, it's probably realistic. I but, thought that, the, that the, the Washington character, the guy who plays the orderly, he's the guy who, you know, what are you talking to him for? He was that, a good role. He, I, I thought he was a strong character. I, I thought uh, uh, I Nathan agree. George is the name of the actor. I really thought that he held his ground. Um, I don't think he was a character caricature of race. I think the other nurses felt lo in like if we're doing a hierarchy of the employees, I think he falls right under Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, he, he was a, that, he was in a position that, of strength. Right, because that nurse because he's the first one to react to everything. Nurse Ratchet looks to him for things mm -hmm. where that other nurse is just a placeholder. Yeah, she's, she's giving out meds. She's Nurse Ratchet says go, she does it without Nurse Ratchet saying something. That nurse is not doing anything. He is reacting to what's going on. He's trying to make these guys' lives better, but if he needs to, he is reacting. And I think that's an important thing because, you know, you talk when you talk about movies and how things are portrayed, that could go awry. And I think I have no issue with it. We started this by talking about that, that intro music. And then now there's we're getting into probably the most famous scene in the movie, in my opinion. You have the confrontation between Nicholson and Nurse Ratchet over the music. It's the World Series. Can we turn the music down? And so you have that music. We get the vote. The we get the vote. <laughs> yeah. He turned the music down. The world says, well, the, the music is part of their regular routine. They like the music. We're going to keep order. We're going to keep things. And it, it goes back to that tug of war of control. It's just power. And power it's between power. this is how we do it. This is how it's done. This is order. This is how it will be done to, yeah, but... It's the World Series, and we're going to do it this way. It's the exceptions can be made versus the order, the structure. Structure works. We know this. But why can't exceptions be made? And that becomes the big battle between the two of them. And I think that's just so evident. And, and you, can, you can watch this movie as a Nurse Ratchet apologist. 100%. And, and, you can, and, and I'm sure a lot of people do. And they say, well, you know, I like order. I like because this guy's kind of a dick. He's coming in here. He's shaking everything up. These guys aren't, aren't stable enough to, to be able to deal with this, these wild cards left and right. And Nurse Ratchet's just doing her job. She's just trying to keep it. Here's the scene, though, where you start to see her manipulation. the dark side. Right. And it's, it's one thing to be about order and power. But for her, it's about control. It's one thing about order. For her, it's about power exactly. and control. Because if, it, if you can argue, if it's just about order for her, I get it. I've, I run groups. I run programs. I know how things go. I want things because, one, everything's more predictable that way. But when she manipulates the vote, when, she, when yep. Mancini's out there not speaking... Oh, he doesn't count as the vote. When and not just that, but masks the vote right. as something that it isn't. So they're sitting in a circle. It's an illusion of choice. Yes, they're in illusion of choice. They're sitting in a circle, and, well, Mr. McMurphy, why don't we vote on it? And he's looking around. He's going, all right, okay. And <laughs> and he eventually, I think game one he loses. He's right. not a number. Not a number he gets one vote. Voter. He gets Cheswick, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. He gets Cheswick. <laughs> if yeah. that. Right. But then he goes, he gives a speech. Gives a speech. Does his deal. His ch a charming speech. I'd call it aggressive, but if we want to be kind, we'll call it charmingly assertive. <laughs> so now he's won them over, and he basically gets them all. Except. And, like, and, and now we're going to – great, this is it. We got them all. 
you know, it's unanimous. Oh, but that's not everyone. And then she lifts the curtain and says, all right, now we got to go to the, you know, to the, to the peanut gallery over there where the, the guys were, the guys, guys who have been lobotomized, who's drooling, who's yeah, drooling, right? right? <laughs> and then you just get the, just the amazing sequence of him going up to each guy <laughs> and uh, just each guy, come on, it's the World Series. Don't you want to watch some baseball? Don't you but, want to? And, and then my favorite scene, my very little spot of that, which is I popped huge for, is you go to each guy and then he turns, he turns to the character who's who's been in uh, Ellis, who a guy from the Hills, Hills Have Eyes. Who's been lobotomized. Right. <laughs> he just looks at me and goes, eh. And he just goes, what's the next guy? And says, I'm not even going to waste my breath. And then, <laughs> now we go deeper, is that he, now he's got Chief. And, you know, he, has, he had the basketball relationship Chief. He's like, I'm not going to But we haven't it. had the turn yet. We, we, we haven't had, had the, the turn. Reveal. Chief is still, yeah, Chief right. is, We're still, not juicy is still silent. So come on, Chief, raise the hand, Chief, raise the hand. And he's pulling it. He's pulling it. And the desperation kicks now, out now. Now she's packing her things up and going, eh. Her control really comes out here because he goes from, in the beginning, when he's running around, there's... Let's go. There's some hope. By the time he gets to Chief, Chief, sorry, he's desperate. Mm-hmm. Once he gets desperate, that's when she starts yeah, packing yeah, her yeah, things. Yeah, up. I'm not taking a chance anymore. This was rigged, and I don't like. Right. The, I don't. Like I know. I won. We're ending it. And she gives that little when he's going around. She gives that little stare and that mm-hmm. little smirk. You know, like yep. ah, go go ahead, try to play the right. the carnival game that you'll never win. Exactly. You know, and then when he starts to get to Chief, that's when she packs up the things, and then he gets him, and the vote was closed. The vote was yeah. closed. It was done seven to seven, and um. Yeah, and that's uh, and then that's where you kind of see the the evil in her come out, and it's not it's not it may be about order, but it's about power. It's it, it's power. It, it is not about what's fair. No, there is, there is no, no fair to it. It's fair to her because it's, she manipulated knowing, like we said, illusion of choice. Yeah, it's not it piousness. Looks, There's right. no piousness to no. this. It's it it's looks, about this is this is the house. These are my rules, and my rules are are products of my power right but it's just it's when joker holds the gun puts the gun in harvey dent's hand but he holds his hand behind the trigger so he says you could pull it right but you can't pull the trigger with your finger behind it illusions of choice yeah it looks like he can but joker is in control and we're talking about villains it looks one way but when you really look at it it's so it's dark and that's where her darkness comes out and yeah it comes out because he's pushing Right. Well, you brought up Batman first, so we were going to go here, so we might as well just do it now. There are uh, there are ties to Batman villains uh, all over the place here. So obviously, the most the one that jumps out of the gate is Nicholson. We got the Joker, the iconic Joker, and you can kind of see like if you if you saw Batman first and then saw this and then didn't know the years, or you just right. watched the movies, you could just see like, oh, it's the Joker, you know. But you see the advent of the Joker Joker character in him, just kind of mm-hmm. you know smirking around the and, charming. And, unstable you're not sure what it is it's not just a clear cut especially his joker dancing around has the yep. chef's hat on yep but what's he doing he has the you don't have a long gun just for laughs you have the long gun and you you know that mentally ill unstableness but that person that you're still rooting for in a sense or gravitating to it's you know it's not many people that could pull that off that that orbit yeah, and as you, you said, he's an agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, he's an agent of chaos as in a, smaller a protagonist. Role. Right. right. 
and Batman, he's an agent of chaos as an antagonist. <laughs> but he's just, is very he, cool to see him do both. And the agent of chaos in as the protagonist, but in such, in a world, for those, what, 10 guys, 15 guys, he is the world. Yeah. So for those 15 guys, he's an agent of chaos to those, where as, Batman, as the Joker, it's Gotham City. Yeah. It's Batman's yeah. world. Yeah, and it's interesting the two takes because you have you have here a group of guys who idolize him and are following him and they're going to cop on the bus and go to the prison. And in Batman, you have the people in the streets reaching right. for the dollar bills. Right. Let's Joker from there, Joker from there. Right. You know, Just coming down with coming down with the Joker balloons down yeah, the yeah. main street, and he's about to poison them, and they are all about him. And it's yeah, and and Jack Nicholson in this movie. Or, McMurphy is not a a stone cold good protagonist. I mean, there are, you know, he he loses it a little bit here too, and a lot. He corrupts the way, and not always good. He corrupts in bad too. But think I mean, about the first way he, he think about the first meeting with the guys. Shakes all their hands. He's like a politician, charming, mm-hmm. big smile. What's the first thing he gives them? He gives them the nudie deck of cards. Yep, nudie deck cards, and then and then later on, he's introduces them to gambling. Yep. And essentially cons them all out of their cigarettes. Yeah. And, uh, Mr. Ratchet, I want my cigarettes. Well, Mr. Cheswick, you, we're monitoring your cigarettes because <laughs> Mr. McMurphy keeps tricking you into giving them all to him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's, it, he is, he's a con man. He's a, I mean, listen, the he's, reason he's in this situation right. is because Let's talk he's about con the system. Right. Well, or has he? Or has, does he think he conned the system? It, it, Did he work it, himself into a shoot, as they it, say? He, yes, <laughs> he worked himself into a shoot. It's because old, let's talk about that first meeting with Dr. Spivey. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what does he say? Why are you here? I really don't know, Doc. Fighting and fucking. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> right. Then what do we find out? He's a pedophile who's been in a prison. Yeah, and who's justifying it. Right. You know, he's sitting there and come on, Doc, you were in the same spot as me. It's, I mean, that um, quote is dark. I have that one, too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, practically sew up my pants, Doc. Yeah. And, but then he says, he goes, ah, she might have been 15. You know, and it's that... So he does 15 that. Fifteen going on. Fifteen going on thirty-five, and then he goes in. You know, he he's laughing his way through, and then he goes in, meets these guys, and, and that, uh, that that crime is aged up from the book. I think in the book. Yeah, it is eleven I, or twelve. Eleven, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that you know, much that, darker. But I mean, the, he. So right away, there's this guy sitting there. He's kind of like, I don't know, Doc, fighting and fucking. You're like, ah, what'd he do? And it's like, oh. And you know, we, we talked with the Joker. Is also you also have, of course, Danny DeVito plays the Penguin, right? So you have him later on the next, and um, Vincent Chiavelli plays that uh, that kind of sidekick of the Penguin who has the monkey on his shoulder. Right. You know, so you have both of them in that one. And again, the, the the deranged bad guy with the and but the Penguin again. Penguin gets people. You know, my favorite Danny DeVito thing is when he rips a cigarette in half and says, "I'm putting in a nickel." I love it. And, and Harding's like, "Well, it's a dime." He goes, "All right, it's a dime." He's like, "But you, but you ripped the cigarette." Yeah. Go ahead and try to smoke that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got nothing now. There is no two nickels. You got nothing. Yeah, it's just, just, just good but stuff. But, I mean, there's so many, you know, all these guys and just hope they all end up in Batman and just as villains. And yeah, I think that this, this movie laid out a cast for people to just pluck mm-hmm. supporting actors from. You know, it, it just... And, and you can see later on uh, all these people just pop up and pop up in different spots and different movies across different uh, TV shows and... They the movie really launched a career for a lot of these guys here. And just Nicholson blows up, but you know we can talk about him for three days. All right, so let's talk Nicholson. He's probably had one of the most iconic 
acting careers of our generation. He's obviously a little before our generation, but I, I would say growing up, when if you're going to name iconic actors, to me, the first person coming to mind is, is Jack Nicholson. He's and like the first movie star, yeah. I remember, where like this guy matters. If he's in a movie for 30 seconds, that's a thing you watch. Yeah. Like he, you know, I remember my dad told me, like, oh, well, Jack Nicholson, so you're going to see it. And that's yeah. just what it was. And I think, and I think today, you know, you probably say like Leo. That's, you know, that's probably the first guy you say. But, you know, if you're, you're having this conversation in the early 90s, it's Nicholson. This movie's at the, the peak of Nicholson. I think he was just after Chinatown. Which, I think we just, we, you know, we just found this out, but Chinatown ranked above this on AFI Top 100. Yeah, um, yeah on both lists. Uh, you um, know, we mean, had Easy Rider. Have you ever seen Easy, Easy Rider? Rider? Uh, you know what? I have not seen Easy Rider. So, uh, excellent Dennis movie. Hopper, too, I believe. Dennis right? Hopper yeah. crushes it in that love, movie. Love Dennis Hopper. Dennis, Dennis I mean, Dennis Hopper. Whether it's Hoosiers or Speed. Speed. I watched yeah. Speed the other night, and <laughs> yeah. Dennis, but Dennis Hopper's the man, easy mean, rider, but Nicholson's Nicholson-ness takes over, where you're like, this guy's legit. Yeah. This guy has something. And I remember watching that as a young, you know, like, probably way too young. But, and then, you know, Chinatown in 1974, and then you have this in 1975, that's... And then we know what comes a few years later with yeah, The Shining. Yeah, yeah, five years later, we're... we're you got The Shining, um, and we're going we'll to talk about we, that. Yeah, we, we, in The Departed episode, we managed to not touch The Shining, and, <laughs> but I do want to touch it here quite a bit, because there's so many, uh, not just not just like very basic similarities as far as cast, but even themes, themes. Uh, in how it's shot. I, 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 think, I think the two movies... There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. But I think before we get to that, while we were talking about doing this, and once we kind of decided on this, we were talking about Nicholson one day, and you had brought up, you know, if you asked, and, you know, ask anybody, what do you think of, like, three things you think of with Nicholson, I think there would be a lot, I think there's one that everyone would say, maybe two, and then I think you have some disparity. I think anyone you're asking, Shining. Yeah, The Shining is, and One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest, to me, are, are 1A and 1B. Right, and then um, I go Batman. Yeah, I mean, my third one is going to be as good as it gets. It's a great movie. That was my, my wife's was Shining. Batman as good as it gets. Yeah, and and, but I think this is this you know, this is one flew over the cuckoo's nest for the conversation. This is in The Shining is just, they're both one. Yeah, it's I'm one not fine. Uh, um, I, I I can't even distinguish rotating. But then you have Batman, and I think something else you're going to see is some of the smaller things he's in. I mean, listen, Chinatown like, uh, can easily Chinatown. be on that list too. Right, I mean, a few good men. A few good you can't handle the truth. I mean, that's that yeah, movie that's, without him. Some other actor trying forgettable, to throw the, forgettable, silly, not silly. brought up today. You it's can't not brought up today. You can't handle the truth by some other poppin actor in 1994, 1992. I'm sorry, not not happening. Who cares? And that's a supporting role too. And I just think the thing with him is he has the uncanny ability to take a movie over. It just I mean, take take the script, take the directing. All right, great, but we're gonna do it. It's we're gonna movie. do it Jack's way. Right. I mean, he's in broadcast news for what four scenes? Mm -hmm. I think of that movie. I don't think of anyone else. I think of him. <laughs> Referenced earlier, he has three movies on this list, and the third movie is Terms of Endearment. I don't know if you've seen Terms of Endearment. I've seen it once. Uh, it's another Oscar win. Okay. A, a personal favorite of mine, for sure. 83. Uh, also DeVito, too. Wow. You have, yeah, and nominated for... A lot of connections between those two, huh? That, yeah, they have you a... you got to go uh, deep they, with they, it. It goes, <laughs> it, goes, it, goes, it goes deeper. Oh, um, The Postman Always Rings Twice. I actually saw that recently. Have you ever seen this? I'm not familiar with that one, though. 
Um, I had never seen it before. I saw it recently. It was on like Turner movies or something. Worth a, worth, worth a watch for you. And I mean, people would say The Departed because that's a big role. You know, whether or not you liked it or not. It's, whether or not you uh, like yeah. that movie or not, that role is his. But and when, we obviously have a whole other episode uh, where myself and, and RDB discuss discuss that. And I mean, I, I don't get the hate on... Me neither. On him in The Departed, to me... Departed comes on, I'm watching the entire thing. It's a treasure. It's 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 basically his last movie, and his performance in, in that is a treasure. But again, I mean, You guys talked it. about it for a couple hours, but there's two monologues in that movie that you can't touch, in my opinion. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you pop open Jax Nicholson's IMDb, the fir- you know the known four, the first four, Chinatown, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, As Good As It Gets, and The Departed. Boom. You know, and... The, and uh, Shining doesn't even, make it. It's not even saying The Shining or Batman. Right. Know? That's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, but that's, I think that's how many iconic roles can somebody have. And I think you're right. It's Leo now, whatever. I mean, we could talk about a whole lot of things with him. And, you know, other guys we could talk about. But I think, you know, in terms of bankability, but... For 50 years, this guy's just been crushing it. I mean, Chinatown, 74. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 75. As Good As Gets, 97. Departed, 2006. 22 years of movies in a known for. I don't know how many other people could pull that off except bit actors, TV actors who have just done things and just pop up his side and that's just what they are to keep him relevant. He's, this, these four are... And someone who can, uh, and it's a teaser for our next episode uh, where we will discuss Rain Man, is Tom Cruise. If you look at yeah. Tom Cruise's 20-year span from the 80s uh, up into the early 2000s. Let's talk about outsiders for a half hour. Yeah, right. right. Uh, there's quite a lot in there, so that would be a little, a little extra homework. Go check out uh, Tom Cruise's IMDb. That's a great time. conversation to have, but, too. Um, yeah. Now, let me ask you this. What is this movie? Without Jack Nicholson. Not as strong. Because I, I, I think he is, to play what he plays where he's the charming guy, he's the dark guy, he's the agent of chaos guy, he at times is the good friend, whether it's real or not, whatever you think, and that's a discussion we'll have about the boat scene, but there's so many different pieces of it, the conversation is, who else could pull that off? Who else could pull off? Oh my God, this guy's awesome. He's giving these guys nudie cards who are sitting there. Oh man, he's well, had let's so just much say fun. if we use the winds above, above replacement theory, <laughs> um, it, it, let's say it's a, it's an actor debuting. Okay. In this role, we don't know who it is. He's he's an unknown. What is Nicholson to the unknown? And how is this movie a top one hundred movie without Jack Nicholson? I mean, it's an excellent story. It's excellently shot. All the other actors are perfect. But are they as perfect without him as the focal? Yeah. Because that's the other thing. That's a great point. In Are those individual roles strong enough without him? Are, are, can they exist on their own? It, how much of it does are they playing off of him? Do you... Does Chief's turn matter as much if he's just some deaf guy who doesn't talk without Nicholson's... You crazy bastard, you fooled him. Yeah. Do you care about Billy going from no stutter to stutter based off shame? Do you care about Harding kind of trying to be a leader and not so whiny? Do you care? Is is Louise Fletcher's nurse Is she evil evil enough? Is she big enough of a heel to, to, to make it work? Right, because, and you need something so dynamic that how many people could pull it in? So Now, I, I think based on the directing... Um, and, I think it'd be a great movie. It, it, it I don't think it would be iconic. Movie. It may be a top hundred. 
it, it's not a top 30. It's not an iconic movie. It's not an iconic movie. It, yeah. It's he, shot, and again, it's based off a book. This isn't something that was written for him. So, but, like we said, do the rest of the pieces matter it, without it, him? It's a good movie. It's a movie that I don't know that me and you would be sitting here talking about right now. We might be sitting here talking about Braveheart, if not. I think that if you take the, the time, the time frame, and you take his stardom at the time, he's not an unknown. He's not an up-and-comer. Right. But he's also not like a departed where he's a veteran coming into the role. He's, he's coming in a star. He's growing. And, and I mean, he's Chinatown. He was also nominated. Yes, yes. So this is not, you know, this isn't some guy we don't know, but he's also young. He looks young. This is one of his three, his three wins. Mm-hmm. So he wins for As Good As It Gets. That's his final win. Right. And then he also wins for Terms of Endearment. Uh, how, do you, how do you put his role in this versus his role in As Good As It Gets? What's, what's the better? I think this is better. I love As Good As It Gets. I just think this one sticks more. If you put the two in front of me and said, you have two hours to kill, what are you watching? I don't know that I'd pick that over this, and I think it's just because I, I just love what he does here. Yeah, and I, I agree. I agree with that. Like, I go rewatchability. Um, That's a good movie. It's the better movie. If that comes on right now, if we're just sitting here, whatever, and TV goes off, and that movie pops up, and we're like, oh, shit, we're watching this, I'm in. Yeah. Bought in 100. But if the but, choice between two, I'm going. I will tell you, I'll throw this in there, though. We sat and discussed... Just now, what would this movie be without Jack Nicholson? It would, would it be... And, you know, we, we kind of fault it. What would as good as it gets be without Jack Nicholson? It wouldn't even be a movie that we would be talking about. It wouldn't even... It would, wouldn't it even get, be mentioned. would it get distributed? Helen, <laughs> Helen, <laughs> Helen Hunt ain't carrying as good as it gets. So I'll tell you I that. Mean, she does a great job, and she deserves the Oscar she gets. But that he, he is that movie. Right. He's the star maker in that movie, though. Yes. Listen, yeah. the, Whereas I think there is a movie here without him. I agree. A good movie. A, good, a very good, a good movie. movie. Possibly a great movie. Like I'm not a, an iconic. Probably movie. the 1998 AFI list. It's probably at the tail end. By the 2007 one, it's probably off. Yeah, that's that. I would agree with that. I, I think that's. That. I think that's really what we're looking at with it. Where I mean, as good as it gets, doesn't even. That what what's what do they call the bad movie Oscars the Razzies the, ra- the Razzies uh, yeah. as good as it gets is in the Razzies with uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> whoever it, else in 1997 is throwing that out yeah and um it, it if it's not that dramatic it's certainly if you compare the two the gap might be that big um now the director here is Milos Forman and he did not quite see eye to eye with the author of this book and that is another one of our Shining similarities. Um, Ooh, yeah. he, I mean, the, I think that's the, a great the, place to get into the shining discussion. Yeah, well, right before we do that, I mean, the the author of this book, Ken Casey, flat out refused to watch this movie. Which is really he interesting. He did not see it. He did not see it in his lifetime. Uh, which is, yeah. I mean, Outrageous. you're talking about, you wrote... You wrote the book for the for one of the best movies of all time, and, and you, won't, you won't watch it. Right. Yeah, but he... Ken Casey had such an issue, took such issue with Miles Foreman's version of the movie, and I think that the the centering piece was Chief not narrating it. He wanted Chief to narrate the movie. Miles Foreman wanted that turn, and it got so ugly where Ken Casey actually sued the director and and the movie makers for it, and they ended up settling. Basically, infringement of uh, uh, infringement of his story. Miles Foreman is a director who's going to come up again uh, on this podcast. He directed Amadeus, which 
is another classic Best Picture winner from the 80s. Also had uh, directed and was nominated for Best Director for People vs. Larry Flint. It's a great movie. Uh, I haven't seen it myself. Great. But, you um, would enjoy it. You yeah, would, you would just... uh, I love Woody Harrelson. Right. So exactly. I, if you love uh, Woody Harrelson, it's you're all in on that. I'm a sucker for Woody Harrelson, so that'll get me. Uh, also directed Hair and Ragtime and Man on the Moon, where he reunites with Danny DeVito and Vincent Chiavelli. Right, um, so you get some Fredrickson and Mancini in there. Yeah. Martini, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is a well-directed movie. Well-deserved Oscar for it, for sure. When we talk about directors not getting along with the people who write, wrote the book. Very famously. Very You've got to go right back to The Shining. You have to go back to The Shining. And this is, I guess, where we'll just dive into The Shining. I mean, the Kubrick versus King, when you talk about one of the greatest movie makers of all time versus one of the greatest, one of the greatest authors. I mean, and you're a King guy. I'm a King so guy. So this is, this I'm is, a King guy. you know. I, like many, saw The Shining before I read the book. Of course. I did read the book then after the fact, and... I view it as not one being better than the other. I think they're two different entities. They're very different. They're they're both um, masterpieces of what they are. They're both masterpieces of what they are, and they're both their intentions are to accomplish different things. Right. I don't agree with King's hatred for the movie. Does he still hold on to that hatred? I, he's like he's, he's, he's pulled off up. more recently. Right. They got to a point where I think Kubrick made made some sort of legal. Agreement with King where he, that could, he couldn't, couldn't talk shit about it. Right? Yeah, yeah, he couldn't. Bash he legally him. couldn't talk shit. Yeah, about he it. could only he could only bash uh, Nicholson. Which is it. Uh, but uh, you know, so and that's the power that Kubrick has to be able to pull that off. Yeah, but isn't King's thing was well, not that he said that, but when you're, you're the King guy, so mm -hmm. correct me, but he writes everything. His books are super personal, whatever he's at in his life. Yes. So if he's writing this personal and kind of relating to the Jack Torrance character, if that gets played out it would then be a play on him then is kind of, is that the feeling almost i don't you know he he you could read into that you could read into that with him i don't i think he's a character guy okay and all of his characters he writes with with intimacy and with passion and i think a lot of the time like you just said is because there's a lot of interpersonal relationships with him and you know he went through a lot of the alcohol addiction right. that the character there's alcoholism uh, there's did. family stuff there's all these things yeah and and right on down to the location that he stayed he stayed at the hotel that he's describing not the history of it right. fiction <laughs> but 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 the but that hotel being, they were the last ones to check out of a hotel before it closed for the for the uh, for the winter is that and where the idea came from yeah 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 wow. and uh, he just got this eerie feeling he's like wow what would it be like to be someone must stay here over the what would it be like to stay here. His beef with the movie is largely, it, it, he has issues with, with Nicholson's role in it, but it's largely more with Shelley Duvall's character. Right, he didn't like her he, casting, he, and he fought Wendy her Torrance casting. Torrance in the book is a strong woman. Right. She's she's a person of, of influence. She's someone that you look at and... She's and an she's, actual foe to yeah, she's Torrance. she's a survivor right. in the book. And, you know, she survives this, this, oh, this horrible ordeal... Uh, and has to take her son with her. And then and you hear she's about written Shelley as a very Duvall, attractive yeah. blonde woman right. who who has who has to overcome a lot in her life and in her relationship with her husband. And Shelley Duvall is written as is a, a weak abuse victim, and he, to the he, point where where Kubrick was like abusing her on, emotionally on set to get her into that state of mind. You hear about you hear stories about The Shining where she. 
they had to wait to let her t- because she couldn't stop crying to film a scene where yeah. she had to cry, but she couldn't start crying when like there's that one the one scene where he's swinging the axe, calling her the love of his life, and she's just crying. Wendy. They filmed that for <laughs> Wendy, love of my life. <laughs> like unbelievable, but she she filmed that. He had her film that a hundred times where she just couldn't do it. She just couldn't function, and she's an excellent character for the movie, but she is. When, I mean, you know, they nailed that in 1980. What domestic violence looks like and how it plays out in one way, and yeah, and and just another, you know, one another one on the list of similarities with with One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest and The Shining. Shelley Duvall was slated to play uh, to be in this movie here. Really, uh, she was, and then wow. t- turned down the role, did Nashville instead, and Nashville is nominated for Best Picture, and she's nominated for Best Actress in that. And then wow. and loses to Louise Fletcher, who ends up playing uh, playing the role in this. So there's one. You obviously have Scatman Crothers, right. who's in both. And Which is unbelievable. You love Scatman Crothers. My God. No, you can't smile. And you can't see him on the screen. And that's, that's unbelievable. Um, his name's Scatman Crothers. <laughs> <laughs> you smile saying. And his, and his death in The Shining is like, is like one of the ultimate, like, oh. <laughs> Here he comes to save the, ah. Uh. Boom. <laughs> Back and to the Simpsons, but even when they do it, when it's Will, oh, the Willie character, oh, keep it Willy. he's just like, I'm coming, and then he just get, stops. Boom. Done. <laughs> uh, classic, classic stuff. The Shinnin'. The Shinnin'. So, and now, and the deal with, with Scatman Crothers dying in that movie is that the, the basically the studios were like, all right, if we're going to release a horror movie, you're going to have to kill somebody. We can't, we can't just have a horror movie where, like, everybody lives except for the, except for the, the, the antagonist. So there was actual talk about killing off Wendy, killing off Danny, the kid. Ultimately, they picked poor Scatman. Um, <laughs> talk about racial. Yeah, I got it. Jeez. You know, but just, all, yeah, but like 1980, that. the idea, I mean, horror movies, what they were coming out of the 70s, where it's just slasher films to go to this just very slow turn psychological where the horror is in kind of the potential Right, yeah. it's potential horror. It's the built-up kinetic energy of like, what's going to happen? Where this guy goes to, you know, all work and no play, make Jack a dull boy. Yeah, and, to and, swing and in an axe. Well, and, listen, I mean, there's a claustrophobia, and there's mm-hmm. uh, there's an instu- there's an institution overcoming the person within the institution, which you have we in, get- in one flew the cuckoo's nest too. And then right up to the another similarity that I look that I I look at it is. Is the opening shots from both movies? Both oh movies, you have huge, you have sprawling hills, just wilderness, beautiful, and just a car rolling yep. up. And and the opening scene, The Shining, is one of my is is. And that's just, one of the best. Oh my god, one of my favorite intros to any movie. I mean, that's um, just you know you you hear so many stories about the obsessiveness of Kubrick, and but I mean, yeah, that pan over shot is just. Is you just could brilliant. do something like that. You could be nuts. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you then, have that surreal music playing yeah. with the car rolling up. Just that um, one car in the distance, and you're yeah, just, yeah, you don't both, even notice it at first, movies. and it hits you, and you're just like, oh! And then when you get to the overlook, it's just... But and, you, you know, you have, you have, both have movies where Nicholson's character comes, comes into this, to this institution ex- expecting to accomplish something out of it. You know, in, in Cuckoo's Nest, he thinks he's going to get a short stay. And eventually he leave, and then finds out that he's no, he's he's in, he's and, here for I, life. Which that and, unbelievable turn of, well, I'm out of here in six weeks anyway, and then he tells yeah, him, he's like, no, 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 no you're, you're here. here, you're here when yeah. we leave. 
Yeah, you can check any time you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> and which is the same in The Shining, yeah. where he's literally there for all of eternity. Right, and you, you know, see it, that, it. Yeah, that picture it, at the end where he's like, been here. Right, you know, uh, you are you are part of this institution yeah. where it's you go thinking one thing, and it's like, well, how am I still here? How am I? You become a part of it, where that again the institution becomes bigger than the individual, and that becomes that's scary. Yeah, uh, and that's part and, of the horror, that subtle horror of The Shining, and then you know they have to go and murder people. I guess, I guess, uh, bloodletting elevators aren't enough, and creepy twins. Yeah, uh, and both movies you're left with. So we clearly both love The Shining. I, I think. Think I would <laughs> so. we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and disagree with Stevie King on this one. Yeah, sorry, um, sorry, uh, man. Yeah, uh, great book, but great movie, man. Uh, and you know, and, and both movies end with a with a lifeless, motionless. Jack Nicholson, yeah. you know, he's just, it, 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 both places literally suck the life out of right. him. The place is one. The place is one. The institution's one. You know, they, um, they both, they both took his mind. Whether or not he went into One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with a mind is debate, you know, is the argument. Um, well, I but, think the, the, the argument that King made about The Shining right. was the same. Right. You know, it, oh, okay. it's, it's, he's, he, he, my book is about a man who is, is a good man with an alcohol problem who loses his mind and when you start the movie The Shining he's crazy right out of the gates you know in, in King's opinion but I, you see him break down yeah, you see, as he goes you see it though because you see even early on then he gets to the bartender and then you know the drinking yeah, problem yeah, my favorite scene in the movie is, is the bartender scene unbelievable sure. did you see uh, did you see Dr. Sleep not yet not yet okay alright so you get a little um, you, well, I did you, see Knives Out give you a little out. tease is there, there, there is a there is a, um, is a notable bartender scene in that beautiful. in that movie as well and I I um, I Loved, I loved uh, Doctor Sleep, which was done as the sequel. It's an adaptation of King's book, which is a sequel. Right. It's basically Danny Torrance as an adult. But I, I what, what King movies does he like off his books? He likes Shawshank. Loves Shawshank. And loves he likes... Green Mile. He's pretty. He's pretty supportive of most of the adaptations, even some of the bad ones. So it's really just The Shining that he has yeah, the I mean, issue he's with. In a lot of them, I mean, he's right. in The Stand. He's in Pet Cemetery. Right. He's in the new It. I think that that one he didn't have his fingerprints on, you know, so that, but now that these days he's a little more laid back to it. I think he gets, he gets vigs on everything that goes well. So he's, he has to support him. But yeah, that's the main one that he didn't, I mean, Stand By Me, he's, he loves, loves, well, you know, because you, you know, you always hear that Stand By Me and Shawshank are his two like favorite adaptations and the two non-horror movies. So that says a whole lot of things. Yeah. And, and you know, he, he went as far to say that he didn't think that the Shawshank could be adapted. Right, which is He didn't think it could be adapted into a movie. It's a yeah, short. It's a, it's, a, yeah, it's a short story, but it's a Stephen King short story. It's like 250 pages. Right. It's not like, you know, you know, you know it's, it's, it's not, not a 60 like a, page. It's not a magazine article. Right. You know, it's, his, his short stories are longer than most people's books. What else? Because there was another movie made out of the whatever book was in the short story. Yeah, was, right? it was, um, there are two. Yeah, there are two. Uh, Stand By Me. Oh, Stand is, By uh, Me and Shawshank were in the yeah. same one? Same book. That's yeah. unbelievable. So, so it's, a, it's, uh, it's called Different Seasons, and he basically writes a short story on each uh, each season, it um, the first one is Shawshank, which is Hope Springs Eternal, right for spring. Then the second one is called Apt Pupil, which is Summer of Corruption. Apt Pupil was a movie. Not the 19- movie. It was a movie nineteen ninety eight. That which, was from him. Uh, Gandalf. Right. Help me out. I always mix him up with Liam Neeson. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. He's a little older than uh, Ian McKellen and Brad Renfro. Yeah, right there. Yeah, Ian yeah, McKellen. Yeah. Ian McKellen and Brad Renfro. Yeah, they, the late Brad was, Renfro. Right, because that was Brad... I remember that movie. Um, talk about a movie that's different than the book. I mean... That's dark. Yeah, and now that's... Um, give me... The, the controversial director does Usual Suspects. Brian Singer. Brian Singer. Okay, so he did the Usual Suspects and um, the Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. You know, which he got cut from because of his 
off the field controversies. Also, X the X Men movies. The X Men movies. Which, uh, yeah. He yeah he is with Ian McKellen on those too. Not a great movie. Not pupil. Really dark, chilling, intense I'm... book. Okay, was it? Um, is it about a, the kid? It's, black, it's about what it's, it's about. It's the same thing? Yeah, okay. yeah it's the kid who's Blackmails the Nazi. Yeah, he, black, he blackmails a Nazi into outing him because he's obsessed with, okay, so, he's obsessed with Nazi okay. Germany and he wants to hear the first right. count stories. Yeah, but the book is okay. way more in-depth really? and intense. And, okay. Um, and Singer goes on, kind of goes off on a weird path with the movie. And the, the movie, movie th- ends kind of tame where the book... <laughs> the the movie, book does not end tame. The book ends... The movie's... It's a good three... Three part, the four parts trash in that. I mean, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't uh, finish well. No, it doesn't. It doesn't finish well because I think he didn't know how to finish it. Because honestly, and I won't spoil it, just think for the for the one or two people who are gonna actually go out and read out to people now. I consider that one of one of King's darkest endings in any book he's really. He's made. Oh yeah, interesting. It's you. You finish that one, and you just like. You turn white and go, good God. Apt Pupil is Summer of Corruption. That Fall from Innocence is Stand By Me, which is the body. Right. And then it ends with uh, A Winter's Tale, which is the breathing method, which is the shortest one in the book and okay. the only one that wasn't adapted into a movie. Wow. So um, three movies, three out of four. Three and two. Wow. Two. Are unbelievable. Time, yeah. Right. All time. I mean, sure, you know. I would say Stand By Me is... Stand By Me is excellent ...considered as, a, as an... I don't want to... All-time great may be an overstatement, but... It's a great Everyone's movie. seen it, and it's always on TV. Everyone could talk about it. Yeah, Nobody's going to be no one, no, one, no one hates Stand By Me. No one, no one watches that and goes, like, right. God, I hate I that. don't know if you said... I don't know how many people we would have to ask for top five movies before we got to Stand By Me. It'd probably be a lot of people. Right, but no one's putting it in but their nobody, No. Yeah. Nobody's... If we... What do you think of Stand By Me? Everybody's be like, oh my God, I saw that when I was younger. That's so great. I'm going to go watch it. Jerry O'Connell was fat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to our uh, Oregon uh, institution over here. Let's go to the breakout boat scene. Let's do the breakout boat scene. Because I think that's... I think that's kind of the next big piece. Well, first there's the bet. Right in the shower room when they're starting gambling, and he says, "I bet I drive Nurse, Rat- Nurse Ratchet crazy," which has a great turn later. And that's yeah, and that's kind of that spells out right. the conflict between it's the good. two. It's good. It's nice. It, yeah, yeah. And, and then I think one. And I could honestly, I could personally do without that line because I think that it's you too can, heavy-handed yeah, for you. Yeah, it was a little heavy-handed. I thought, I thought, you know, I thought you get that right out of the game. That could be implied. See, I like without it because him just I think declaring it, war. I get it. In movie purposes, I get your issue with it. But for the context of being in a mental hospital, big fan. Where he's kind of saying to all these guys, like, hey, I know we're all not operating with a full deck. This is what I'm doing. I'm not you. But I'm going to pretend like I'm you to fuck with her. Yeah. That's how I kind of look at it. Him's kind of making himself the king of the crazies. Yeah, and, and how, how often do, do you know, workers at, at institutions like this have to deal with that? All the you time. Know? Yeah. All the time. Actually, I mean, today I was doing a group and some guy kept coming at me and one of the other guys starts hysterical laughing. He goes, you just take shots all day. You just don't react. I was like, yeah, this is what it is. And you just kind of go back and you build the structure into it and it ends fine if you know what you're doing. But yeah, it's just a piece of it. Yeah, so we're all the demonizing a nurse ratchet, like try to put up with a a McMurphy every day and you... (laughs) Right, I had 15 McMurphys today where I'm like, all right, enough is enough. But it gets... You got to kind of be on it. But I... That my favorite part of that scene, though, is when he and he tries to lift the water thing out of the ground, and you see him flip out, and he says a really great, I think I got great it line where he says, "At least I tried, so, didn't, didn't I? I, I got it here too, didn't I? At like, least I did that, right? Like, you know, I, I love it. It's a classic. Like, it's almost like a, um, it's almost like a, an Eastwood or John <laughs> Wayne line where they're just, you know, 
where everyone's just looking at him and just, yeah, this guy did that. Right, there, there's this cockiness tried, to it. It's like, I? yeah, I tried, great. didn't I? Uh, he's like, we're, he's getting off his horse. It's really right. like, yeah. but I tried, didn't I? God damn it, at least I did that. But that also And goes, they say that he he actually tried right, to yank is, that thing to the point where he hurt himself. Right. Yeah, they had him not film the next day yeah, because, because he hurt himself. He's trying so hard, <laughs> which is just awesome, unbelievable. Especially for a movie filled in feel, filmed in sequential order, where you kind of know what's coming at the end, and for him to do that, you know, you got to you see that young Nicholson pride where he's like, "No, nah, I'm going to do this." Yeah, and that's right. why you have to think how much of that is I tried, didn't I? Was you know like a you know, kind of an F you to the directors, the producers who yeah. are like, all right, just fake it. Yeah, just right, act. Yeah, no, and he's yeah. like, no, 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 no I'm which, doing this. Which makes the ending scene with Chief so, much, so better. much better. Uh, all right, so we, now we, we get to we, the breakout. To, yeah. He gets on Mancini's back. Smooth climb over barbed wire. Yeah. Guys, oh, yeah, I love the tree. Any Anyone who was a tree climber as, right. a, as a kid looks at that and goes, whoa. Guy's a stud. Guy's a stud. He's around up there. He knows what he's doing. Then he gets, you know, these guys, they're just following the charming sociopath. Right? Which is not. We look at cult leaders. We look at all these things. The super charming dark guys. Yeah, and hey, I mean, not for nothing. Get me the live, hell out of there. Yeah, and when you live a, a life of monotony. Right. And just a daily routine that never changes. Something like that's like, well, you know what? This. So while it's scary, it's exciting. And the excitement's going to get you. And the reality is, they may be mentally ill. They're not, they're not stupid. They yeah. also know he's taking the fall. Yeah. And, and, and that goes too. When we, we talked about the, the boating with, for, the, mm -hmm. for the baseball game and, you know, and he loses out. And the second one, vote. Because, yeah. And, and then, you know, he just, because he doesn't want to be defeated, he doesn't want to be beaten. And because now they're getting out of this daily monotony and getting into the idea, well, there's something different going on. He narrates the whole World Series, which is you just know, which is yeah. The, to me, that's the most iconic scene in the film. Just him running um, around. We, with we it. wandered away from it. We were talking right. about before, but that is the iconic scene in the film yeah. where they're sitting there and give me some popcorn, you know, and they're just uh, it, it just you know the the 1963 World Series Yankees Dodgers is Sandy Koufax on the mound. Yeah, and, and he's just, even so you know looking at the quotes, McMurphy yeah. pretending to watch the world. Koufax, Koufax kicks. He delivers. It's up the middle. It's a base hit. Richardson is rounding first. He's going for second. The ball's deep right center. It's just unbelievable. And the next one is, you know, the kind of McMurphy gets up as the other patients come to see what he's doing. He's bringing in. There's, he's creating the orbit around him. Colfax is in big fucking trouble. Big trouble, baby. All right. <laughs> Tresh is the next batter. Like, it's just engaging. And you and got the popcorn with, line in there, too. Just, uh, give me some popcorn. <laughs> It's a strike. Koufax curveball is snapping off like a fucking firecracker. And then, and then at this point, he's has the patients are cheering. Yeah, they're, they're into it. They right. see it. They visualize it. And then it. It's, it's going. It's gone. Let's hear it. But it's just excellent. Yeah, and, and you know, no, no, big, no big secret. I'm a, I'm a huge baseball guy. And that's, to me, is one of the beauties of baseball is that it's, it's really the only sport you can listen to on the radio. Yeah, and, and you, can, you can talk it, and you can picture it, and you can make someone picture mm -hmm. it. And it, it, there's, a, there's an element of freedom to it. There's, and, that, and he gives that moment to them there, and it's, that's why it's America's game. You have that... You listen um, to football on the radio, you really have to do some work. You listen you to, to baseball, yeah, you there's... To, you almost have a pen and paper to just... Forget about basketball. The score changes every two seconds. It's, it's like, whoa, you could, like... You know, hockey, if you're a hockey fan, you, you can, can listen, listen to, to it, on the radio. But nothing's like baseball. Baseball is yeah. made to be such a visual thing, but listening to it, you can listen to it when 
you're doing nothing. You could just sit there and focus on that. You could sit there yeah, when you're, you're doing a million nap, it's things. It's great to just roll on. Right. And it'll help you ease right you're off. You're doing you know? work. You could do so many things, and I think it com- It just he gets these guys cheering. Yeah, they're cheering. They're into it. They see it. They visualize it, and they're visualizing the outside world. They're visualizing freedom, and then he eventually takes them there with, the, with right. the boat. And then we get to the boat where he picks up a girl on the way, charming yeah. pedophile. No problem getting right. women apparently. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I don't. You know, I, I didn't get the. I didn't get that they were underage. No, she. Goodness. They were yeah, adults. Angelica Houston plays that role. She was an adult. Clearly, they have a history, but um, you know, puts Cheswick in charge. Big fan of that. Oh, I love it, Captain Cheswick. Just hold the wheels straight. <laughs> One of the great. I mean, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but just the overhead <laughs> shot of that boat going. Oh my god! I mean, that's gold. That's what do I? Gold. When him and Harding are fighting over it's just it, gold. You know, it's Harding like you, the fake you nervous. Kid. You're nervous. The first thing you see, you're nervous that this thing's gonna. It's gonna be like like um. Like prestige worldwide for the stepbrothers with the, <laughs> just the boats and hose. Just... Oh God, who's steering the boat? You know, but but you know, but you, and then you pan out and you see it going in a circle and just like it just you. And Martini has a great line in there. Uh, McMurphy says, "What are what are we gonna do with the little fishes?" Catch and Martini says, "Catch big fishes." <laughs> McMurphy just starts to stare at him. Catching big fishes, love that. Love but then that. I think let's talk about Billy now. Because what do we know? Okay, about, all right. We're gonna I think go we, into the Billy talk. Because now. I think this is I think this is one of the first places we see humanity out of McMurphy, but the discussion is whether it's real or not. What do we know about Billy at this point about why he's there? Suicidal because a girl turned him down, right? He was essentially stalking this girl. She turned him down. He tried to kill himself, right? Yeah. McMurphy brings the girl on the boat. Billy starts to flirt a little with the girl. McMurphy gets him off the girl. Now, McMurphy clearly then takes the girl under. But the question is, is McMurphy doing this as... Because he clearly has an affinity for Billy. He's, so, yeah, it, he sees... Well, Billy's the guy he can mold. Right. These other guys, like, they're... they're they are what they are. Some, they're yeah, older, they're, but they're, they're stuck. Not, yeah, it's just, they're just the guys that, that but, are... Billy, he's like... Oh, we're going to talk about Billy later towards the end and the role Billy plays. Because yeah. Billy plays... I mean, Billy's important. But he sees something in Billy. So... How selfish is it? There's a selfish aspect. We can't ignore the selfish aspect. But piece of it has to be, he knows that if, this, if she turns him down to go with McMurphy, now this kid's jumping off the boat. Yeah. So is it fully selfish? Is it, what is it? Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, the Billy character is obviously a fear of women. I mean, we yeah, see the it, stutter later when he's confident he, he, he doesn't has a, stutter. This, yes. He's he scared of Nurse desire. Ratchet. He's scared of his well, mom. I think he's scared of his mom. Yeah, that's it. But he, Nurse he Ratchet a, says, he I'm has, friends with your mom. Yes. I'm going to tell your mom. So he has a he has a, 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 a deathly fear of his mother. Right. Author, um, an authoritative woman. And, and because of that, his relationship with women is is not good. Stalker. You know? I mean, yeah, he stalks her. Yeah, and he has an affinity for them, but he doesn't know how to get there. And that's where the stalking, mm-hmm. you know, goes. And that's where, you know, uh, you know, uh, I kind of like her. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe when I get out of here uh, and, and she's in town, I'll see her. And, and you know, McMurphy says, no time like the present. Like, I'll talk to her right now. You know, when he gets it. And, and he, McMurphy connects that dot right. for Billy that Billy didn't have, um, that Billy couldn't, couldn't grasp. This is, goes back to where... You know, the apologists for Nurse Ratchet have to take that step back because this is where her true evil comes out. And this where is where the humanity of him shows. This is the human. This is really the only humanity you see in McMurphy. Yeah. The where he's doing something out of interest of another human being is Billy. That's it. 
even with the chief stuff, you can argue with me, but ultimately that's selfish. Yeah. Chief yeah. is the human one in that one. Yeah. He, Billy is something different to him because like you said, Billy brings, shows the worst in Nurse Ratchet, but also shows the best in McMurphy. Even if it's selfish, he's doing something knowing what would happen if he doesn't. And now let's look at the juxtaposition to Nurse Ratchet. Billy means more to Nurse Ratchet than the other guys do too. One hundred percent. Billy, she she's friends with the mother. Mm -hmm. She knows about Billy's past. She knows about Billy's outside world. Billy's really the only one of them that means anything Billy's to her. A, Billy's a person outside. to her. She's she, a person in her outside yep. life mm -hmm. too, and she has him under her thumb, uh, and she knows that the fear of his mother plays out into the fear that mm -hmm. he has for her, and. Now he crawls out from under her thumb because McMurphy is somebody else out, is there, and now he's on McMurphy's shoulder. And when he connects with that woman, th that's where you get that, where you just see the red and the and the lightning in in Nurse Ratchet's eyes, and then she just that's when she goes a doomsday on mm -hmm. on Billy and brings out the mother, and then the stutter. And then the stutter comes back because when he first comes out of the room, there's no stutter. He's confident about what he did. He feels good about what he did. Yeah. Yeah, well, he 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 had a, a life conquest that right. he's always you know that he's always longed for. Um, he's conquered his fear. Right. He's conquered then, his fear that's with then, the help of McMurphy. Then the fear is thrown right and back then, at him. And then he's he, uh, the trap door is pulled with with Nurse, Nurse Ratchet's hand on the lever, and he's plunged into the into the into the darkness. And it's just so quick. And I think that's why that's why I like that boat. The boat scene has so much stuff, and just there's. Again, and we talked so much earlier about kind of the claustrophobia, but now there's a freedom. And that overhead shot, like you're talking about where it's the circle, but you also see all the blue. You see you see something different that these guys aren't living day to day, and that's what's so great about it because it's like, oh, this is different. In our discussion with The Departed, this is such an all-star cast, and this is obviously an all-star cast too. We had to kind of debate as, so the, the only acting nominee in that movie was for Mark Wahlberg as the... Supporting actor. Mm -hmm. Leo declined to be nominated as a supporting actor. Right. The, the, Famously. He didn't get the lead right. acting because it was kind of, there were some, some gray areas there. So Wahlberg gets the nominee, doesn't win. And then, you know, we kind of debated, did he deserve it? Should have gone to someone else, you know. What, Whatever. Now, I, in this movie, Brad Dorff, who plays Billy, gets, gets the nod for supporting actor, doesn't win. Did they get that right? Is there someone else that... Could have been could have been nominated in in his stead. Is there someone else that could have been nominated in addition? I think Billy's the go to. I agree. Billy is like we said. Billy's make the the main conflict in the movie revolves around Billy, not the person but the character because he frames the two main characters in a different light. He brings out good in McMurphy again, selfish good but good, and he shows the true evil of Nurse Ratchet without Billy's character. McMurphy's all chaos, and Nurse Ratchet is a little strict. Is a very strict person of order. Overbearing order. order. Yes. Overbearing order. Yeah. She's not evil. She's very strict. She's overbearing. Um. Well, when she's when, manipulative. When Billy, yeah, but when Billy Billy she's when evil. Billy kills himself, mm -hmm. her her reaction is. Everybody, go back to let's normal. go back to our routine. And that's when McMurphy just ah, just jumps on her and pounces on her. Because her answer to everything is, routine just go back to doing what I told you to do right. and none of this will happen. And, and that's playing God right. in this. And, and that's, exactly. where, that's where she's... It's her world. God. They're she's living playing, it. She's playing Satan. You know, she's... She is. She's, you know, she's taking over there. 
The stuttering he does is on point. Very difficult to make that work. It's unbelievable. It, because it, even it, 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 you could you could easily botch that. You could easily turn I mean, it into like. I a, think if one of us tried ooh, to that's do incredible. the, he, he, he's deaf and dumb. We're yeah, just going to sound just, offensive. Yeah, I think I did five minutes ago. <laughs> I think people turned it off. Yeah, uh, yeah so like he nails it. He nails it. Uh, you get the emotion in his face. You, you, you see that. He gets the twitch where his eyes shut a little bit when he's on the third. <laughs> where yeah. it's really like I don't know how, and I don't know how you do that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty masterful. Now the actor Brad Dorf, um, I don't know if you know this. I didn't prep you on this. He has an iconic role that he plays. Really? Uh, that everybody knows him as. Yes, and and it's not it's not as uh, as Billy Bibbit. He is the voice of Chucky. What? He is the voice of Chucky in all of the Chucky movies, with the exception of the remake. Where uh, so twenty years of Chucky movies. Right, of Chucky, Child's Play, Child's Play Two. He's that is Billy Brandorf. Wow. Yep. Yeah, he is the voice of Chucky. He also is in Rob Zombie's. Um, I knew the House of Thousand Corpses, right? House, uh, yeah. You always know, in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, is he? Uh, he might be. I in thought he was in House of Thousand Corpses. He might be as well. He's in Lord of the Rings. Wow. Um, uh, he's definitely he plays the sheriff in uh, the Rob Zombie's Halloween remake. Okay, that and, I didn't and know. Halloween the second one as well. He also is in probably my favorite X Files episode. Which one? Uh, Beyond the Sea. Which one's um, that? Where he plays the um, the man on death row. Okay. Who's a psychic who who knows where uh, of the two abducted teens are. Okay. And he tries to get a death row pardon. Okay. In exchange for, for his information, telling them no. no. That's and the one where Scully's father passes away, and okay. it's a classic episode. Beyond Beyond right. the Sea, where okay. they play the, the Sinatra song. Man, that might be Dean Martin. I might have just botched that too. It, yeah, just uh, he's got the long hair and the okay, uh, wow. yeah, classic. Hell of a career, classic. Uh, yeah, he he has not gone away. But I think um, he, I mean I think him is the second you know supporting actor is perfect. I don't think anyone else has enough of a active kind of role in the rest of the plot. You know, yeah, you, know, you could you could go Chief with Harding, maybe you could go with Chief. you could go Chief, um, Beyond but I don't think Beyond it's enough. Bobby Darren, by the way, so I botched it twice. Oh wow, yeah, oh, great, Bobby. Darren. I, I think Chief. You know, you could argue Chief, but I just don't think. I think Chief's role is great and iconic, but I don't think it's you know best supporting actor. I don't. Yeah, and it's a dial back role. It's right, you know, but yeah, so I think they nailed it with with Billy Bibbit there. His role in the movie is just so. It's it's such the barometer of where the movie's headed and where it's going and, mm -hmm. and the the pH test right between the the acid and the base that is McMurphy and, and Nurse Ratchet. So then we get out of this, we go back and now we get to the meeting of Doctor we get Doctor Spivey's second piece and they're talking with Nurse Ratchet. Nurse Ratchet doesn't want to let him go. Okay, that's this all is power. Another major scene here. And yeah. this is when they get bring the other doctor, Doctor Sanji in. And he says, I don't think he's overly psychotic, but I still think he's sick. They say, do you think he's dangerous? He goes, oh, absolutely. And this is when Nurse Ratchet, she makes her claim is that, well, we don't want to pass the buck. We don't want to send him back to the hot, to the Because remember, he's, he's there because he's claiming she's too mentally ill. So he gets sent to the hospital to assess yeah. whether he needs to be there. We'll be making him someone else's problem. And that's not what we do. Right. The we you know, you can hear the, it's not, it's, she's not making that decision. She's self-aggrandizing. Yeah, she's not making that decision for any we. But then she's we She's doing it for her. But what did Chief say? We went back to that quote. He's when he said, they worked on my dad, like they're working on you. Yeah. There's, here's the scene. Yeah. Where now she's showing, she's trying to, she's manipulating the system again for her power where, oh no, no, no. 
this son of a bitch is staying here because he thinks he's taking over. Oh, I'm not losing. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. I'm this is this my show. Yeah, this is my show. And it's, it's she, once again, uses the, sis, the system yeah, the to bigger system her personal control over right. what's going on. And that scene can be read as, well, there's a human element there to her. And yeah, that's what the doctors see. Right. But that's not what's going on. That is not what's, what's going, going on. What's going on is, no, he's not going Louis to prison f- where he's going to get out in a couple of years. No, 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 no. He's staying here, and he's staying here for life. Mm-hmm. You know, he's staying in the Overlook now. You know, right. you're, not, you're not allowed to. Right. Be- you're going to see his picture in 1980. This is where he is now. Him and Mancini are arguing over nickels and dimes yeah, for the yep. next 30 years. Yep. He's not going back. Not this... You know, oh no, we're gonna save him. Because this is not about saving this man. This is about destroying. Yeah, him. unless unless Tauber builds him a DeLorean and brings <laughs> him back to the fort, they committed statutory rape. He's not. Uh, he's not getting out of there. <laughs> so, but then that's then, yeah, you know. and then and then she takes the pleasure in revealing to him after that that he's when he's not he, going when he's that. swimming and he and he says to the guard something. Something, you know, sarcastic. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, in jail you have an end date. And here we decide. Yeah. And you see everything change. And then we get into the next, we get into the next group scene. Because the next group scene, we talked about the first group scene, the beige and whites, right? Mm -hmm. What's this group scene? They're all wearing different colors. All wearing different colors. There's no order. Everybody's talking over everybody. Cheswick wants the cigarettes. And then we get that amazing Tarver Fredrickson scene with the cigarette in the cuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah, pull, yeah, yeah, pull, just uh, give him his cigarettes. Just uh, give him his cigarettes. And then when he's losing it, and then we get then Jack, uh, Jack McMurphy breaks the glass to get the cigarettes, and just chaos, total utter chaos. It ratchets nightmare. Right, because she has lost all control. Should we go from beige and whites? Everybody's calm. Even Harding is the loud, crazy one. And what's he talking about? He's talking about his wife. He's anxious. It's like, now it's screaming. Now it's hysterical laughing. Now it's just. Cross talking, which is a nightmare. There's five, seven guys just. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah. yeah, you're wa- you're watching that. I'm sure I'm just looking. Oh my I'm God, like, oh, wanna, okay. this is where I take my vacation. And this <laughs> is where I'm like, I feel you, Nurse Ratchet. Because <laughs> 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 you're trying to pull back. You're trying to get the focus. The one guy with the major problem. You want his problem done because you know that if you're able to pull him back, everybody drops. But he's now irrational. Once you have an irrational person. What happens, you build up, and then you have the chaos and all these different things. And then we find out, because we're just finding out that everybody is, except for three of them, voluntary there. And then we're going to look at these things where now, what do you, you know, you think you're in there with a group of like-minded people. But the reality is, you're now, where early on, where he said, oh, I'm going to drive her nuts. Now, he's the one... He's the crazy one because they're all there on their own. He's forced to be there. And that's such a dynamic changer. And this is where also where he says to them, which I think is super interesting, where he says, you knew what I was doing. I told you that I was going to make her nuts. And now I'm here forever. And you knew that. And just going at them and that anger that comes out. It's just such a, it's just excellent. Now, the, the Harding character, this is his last film. He, I think he actually passed He died away. like a couple, I think 1978 he died or something. Yeah. He um, was in a lot before that because I was looking at his IMDb. A TV like, actor? Right? Yeah, yeah, big TV actor. A lot of different things where it was. But so now he, he actually gets diagnosed with leukemia during the filming of this movie. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, um, the doctor we mentioned before, uh, Brooks is the actor's name. Uh, who plays Dr. Spivey, okay. who's a real doctor, diagnosed him with it on set. 
Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and, and he dies, uh, I think, soon, a- soon after yeah. the, the movie comes out. Talking to Chaos, you know, that kind of leads us into our penultimate climax is the party scene. Um, well, first we have the ECT, the electroshock. Okay, right, yes. Yeah, little so, dab will do you. <laughs> because he comes, you know, because they pull him in and they go into where everybody's now zombies, where everybody's been either lobotomized, where everybody's been going through ECT much heavier, or, you know, those old school heavy psychotic men. Now, let me ask you this. How, like, how bizarre of a scene is that to what, how things are dealt with today? I mean, when do they, when do they get away from... You still do uh, ECT today. Really? Electrocosol. It's very rare. Um, what you'll see them do ECT on is one. It's not as violent where they're holding the things up to your head. It's a controlled vault. Um, it's people with severe depression, suicidal, who are med resistant. Who we've tried every medication because you know back in the day we used these super strong antipsychotics that made people essentially zombies. You've heard of Thorazine. Yeah. There's something you know they used to call it the Thorazine shuffle. Where people with Thorazine, they'd essentially become zombies, pretty much just shuffle their feet and socks across the linoleum floors of hospitals. And then in the late 60s, when people were like, all right, you know, we're people who are a little sick, we're just locking them away. This isn't good. We need to do better. So that's when, you know, the newer generation of psych meds started coming out. So ECT, it's, it's not, it's called a treatment, but what it does is controls it, right? So it just kind of limits those severity, that, those impulses right there mm-hmm. for the short thing. So we do it now. But it's very rare. And the biggest thing that got me in, which th- thinking 63, you know, self-determination. You can't just pull someone in and zap them in the fucking head. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't do that. You would, you'd be in prison. Yeah, and you're just throwing around like slaps on the wrist. You right. Know, like. That's, you go to prison for that. You can't, I can't say to somebody, if, I, if, if somebody come to me and I think they need meds and they don't want it, I can't say you have to take meds or you can't stay here. That's illegal. Yeah. I, people have choices in their treatment, and they should. Yeah. You know, you want to do different things, give people different tools. You can't just... When, is the, when is the lobotomy practice, when does that kind of get shuffled under the rug and we stop doing that? Because that's kind of... Well, so you know, new 1950s was its peak. In the 1950s, we hit about 40,000 people with lobotomies. Jeez. Um, you know, 1960s, like later 1960s, it gets phased out pretty much by the 70s. It's done. Okay, and this is 63. This is 63. So this is, it's happening. And, which is, again, nuts, which thank God that doesn't happen, because what that does is they literally break your prefrontal cortex off from the rest of your brain. Because with the prefrontal cortex, complex cognitive behaviors coming, our personality, how we express our personality, me yeah. and you, yeah, without our prefrontal, right. yeah. prefrontal cortex, we can't do this. This is where decision making, this is all these different things. Thank God we stopped that. It's oh. amazing that there has to be like an experimental phase in our society of like, pulling apart people's brains you know it's like what like why can't you like you do that on like uh and like test monkeys you know do on actual people yeah it's insane to me and it's crazy because they were like oh this this makes sense Forty thousand people had lobotomies because you know you talk about risk because okay so what does it say here so it's meant to reduce the symptoms of mental illness now we're talking about psychotic mental illness and mcmurphy's worse he's not psychotic right even dr spivey says he's not psychotic but he's dangerous but we're also, it's taking away your intellect. Your, the hills have eye guys. He just lays there the yeah, whole time right, rolling, right, right? That's what you get. It's no personality. Um, you know, so there's no spontaneity. There's no responsiveness. You're no self-control, no self-awareness. These things are gone now because these are all things that focus in the prefrontal cortex, which yeah. is, you know, they're separating, which is insane that that was legal. But 
I think the big part of that ECT scene, when after McMurphy comes back, he jokes around about how much they buzzed him, but he comes back darker, right? There's a darkness to him that I think is much more evident at this point. This is when Chief says to McMurphy, you're bigger than me, which is just such a great moment. Yeah, I mean, that's, and, and yeah, Chief, you're big as a mountain, you know, and it's, um, that's... I gotta get out of here, I gotta, and Chief says, you're bigger than me. Chief's saying, like, no, I don't have the balls to do yeah, this right now. Yeah, that world outside is, is scary for me, and that's, right. you know, I'm small out there. I'm big in here, I'm small out there. Right. While Nurse Ratchet uses the order and control and routine as a tool of power and control, there is an element of that some of these guys need that. Right. Like, actually, physically, The reality is they, these men are all very mentally ill. Yeah. Com committed and, or not, yeah. these men... And, and he, his chaotic order doesn't work for everybody. Right. Because it doesn't work for him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, it doesn't. I argue no. that it works for him. He's in a prison outside yeah. of this. Because when yeah. we look at things like mental illness, we look at things like trauma, we look at so many of these things... When you're developing treatment, structure is such a big part of it because with structure, there's predictability. In predictability, there's less fear. So when you take away the fear, especially for a guy like Harding, he's scared of the world. So if you're able to control his world a little bit, make it a little bit smaller, it's less scary for him. If it's less scary for him, he's able to now make choices and hopefully move forward. So let's talk about where his chaotic method really gets out, uh, really gets off the tracks and off the gears in that party scene. You know, which is it's you know, all pretty wild ass scene. I mean, it, it, and when know, we it, talk about the good in McMurphy, where he gives a shit about Billy on the boat, where he tries to protect Cheswick. Here you see the evil of McMurphy because there's a man, yeah. Scatman, who has a job. He has a career. Yeah, he doesn't well, give a fuck. Yep, he says, "Here's hot ass Angelica Houston," and McMurphy um, just manipulates it. Doesn't give a <laughs> shit. He takes that. This is what I want. We're doing this, and I'm going. This is just a cult of personality yeah. where I'm pushing it. And yeah. this is what we're doing because these guys want it. Scatman lets his vices get it get into him, and now you know we have, you know, we got booze. We got Jim Bean being hooked up to to IVs, IVs. going into lobotomized <laughs> characters. Like Jesus, Christ. that's probably assault. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, and then you have you know you got you got Martini running around. You got. You know, you got them pushing people on the on the wheeled stretchers, and it's it's a it's an all out frat party gone wild right. and in, I the, think, uh, right. in the old war. And this goes back to McMurphy, like you were saying, with the denial of everyone else's mental illness. Now we're back to a point where he clearly has no sense of consequences, yep. because if you have any thought of the next step, what is the end game of yeah, this party? Well, you're not going to clean this up. <laughs> yeah, it's just like this is that old house party where right. like. The guy who's hosting the party just basically, which in this case would be Scatman Crothers, right. you know, wait, but my parents are coming back tomorrow, and the and the and the and there's the somebody, kids are, yeah, they're and you're hiding out. the beer, yeah. you're, you're hiding the beer bottle tops behind the couch, so the parents shouldn't, have, the shouldn't have told us they were going away, right? You know, this just, is your fault, yeah. But it's where McMurphy's plan is to leave. So if McMurphy's plan is to leave, he's pretty much saying, "Hey guys, I know you love me, but fuck you." Yeah, and and and, and, and think that's about how dark that is. Own chaos, right? It's the death of him. Right. What you know, if, he could, if he stayed sober enough right. just to leave when he was supposed to leave. But, which leads to what I think, I think it's my favorite visual sound piece of the entire movie. When he suggestively encourages the girl to go with Billy. Mm -hmm. And he's about to leave, but he just stops to kind of wait for Billy. And it's 
you don't hear the other guys, you don't hear the chaos, and it's just McMurphy's head in front of the black window, and you just hear like the ambient noise. There's a train in the background, there's a car, there's a tree, and it's about 30 seconds, and it's just unbelievable where it's like, wow. It's something because you're in it. You're silent. Yeah. Like there, you're not making a fucking noise during mm-hmm. it. And yeah, you you hear you hear life outside, but you're living. You're in the stuck moment in it, and it's just it. because no, it's there. He has the opportunity to go there, but it's just not. And then, then we cut to the next morning, and we have the morning after. <laughs> oh lord! And I, I love how Scatman just sleeps through most of just, this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even get to see poor Scatman's fate. You just, you just like the nurse just serves him up to Nurse Ratchet. Right. You know, the, the, She's like Scatman, Turkle. What uh, do you do? You need to take a look at this. And he's like, uh oh. You know, like, so, uh, so yeah, that's the first big reveal to Nurse to Nurse Ratchet, and Billy's is the, the second. And this obviously is the most uh, unfortunate scene in the in the movie. Um, well, she lines everybody up. So, you know, where's Billy? Who's missing? Yeah, where's Billy? They lock, they relock the window. They relock the windows. Where, again, like you said, just the chaos of McMurphy. He couldn't get out. This is not a very difficult institution to escape from, by the way. We not at all. We just, just got, like, we got, like, little <laughs> mini padlocks that you could, like, you right. know, you just need that plastic key to open. We're scaling fences and right. climbing trees and, and getting in buses that I guess the ignition, that keys just are keep just the sitting keys in the ignition. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, you know, it's, uh, Listen, we're, we're, I, I, we're not here for logic here. Yeah, I, I always like to leave my keys in my car just in case, you Especially know. Especially when it's a bus at a mental inmates. institution. Yeah, I heard of inmates. Just leave the door open, too, you know. Have you ever tried to get in a bus with the door closed? <laughs> you know, like, you know. Jeez. But then um, we get that, they're all there, they're all hung over, they're all just, they're filthy. It's just a fucking mess. Yeah. And then they find Billy with the girl. Who stayed? And the first time in the movie we see Billy not stutter. Yeah, well, he yeah. This he's, is, this is like you said earlier, because we, we hit this earlier. He hit a goal that he's never hit. We're, I mean, I think it's a safe assumption this was his virginity gone. At least you know consensual virginity gone. Yeah, well, I think it, you, it was his virginity gone. Right. Yeah, I think that's a safe assumption yeah, based yeah. off, especially yeah, the way this started. Yeah, I don't think he got anywhere with the stalking thing. Right. He wasn't in for rape. He was right. in for stalking. Yeah. So it, for, he was there for suicide as a result of the failed stalking. Right. Yes. Yeah. So he's losing virginity. He's for the first time. There's no stutter, and that's. A hell of a turn. And the second she goes after... Well, I'm going to tell your mom. You know how close we are. Oof. That's it's the worst stutter in the entire movie. Oh, yeah. And then it's and then you get that masterful breakdown scene. Um, God, you can cut, cut the tension with oh. the knife. It's just uncomfortable, teeth-gritting. Jeez. I mean, yeah. That's pretty much all you could say there, right? Yeah. And then, it, <laughs> you know, and then... And then Billy, you know, does, does what he does... You know, has a, the grisly suicide. They find him, and then that eventually becomes McMurphy's undoing. When I mean, Murphy know. goes after, and and uh, and Cheswick's the only one who says stop. Yeah, and Cheswick says stop. Yeah, the order. Cheswick says of, no, and the yeah. rest of them just sit and watch. You know, enthralled, fear. I think you know, in Harding, we go back to Harding a lot, but Harding's case, I think it's then fear again, where he's just. It's like, oh no, what is this? Yeah. So yeah, and Cheswick is a Cheswick is that one impression, impressionable guy that kind of bounces bounces back and forth. But you see, when he's he's no, with, you know, still trying to protect Nurse Ratchet, still you know, 
still trying probably to some degree protecting McMurphy because he knows what comes next if you're there long enough. Yeah. Because, you know, we don't know what Hills Have Eyes did, but maybe Hills Have yeah, Eyes. Yeah, it could have been. You know, yeah, or been. he could have came in and been they never, they never made that prequel. You know, yeah. I never made that prequel to the... That should be the next part of this podcast. We right. do a prequel to this. <laughs> right. The Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> right. Then we get to... Uh, we get back to order. Yeah, back to order. And it's just like nothing happened. And pay you know, attention with the order. The... It's what she wants. We go back to... And they're all wearing beige and white again. Yep. They're all back to white. They're telling tales of McMurphy. McMurphy's oh, escape. escape. And the only real influence he's really left on them is that they're playing a different card game than, than, when, than when they started. Yeah, they're, so they're gambling their, now. And Harding's in control of the gambling. Harding's more confident in it. But they're telling stories of this magical yeah, escape. Yeah, he left a mild imprint. He left a mild imprint on the um, the folklore and the 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 um, he became the culture, the pop culture of right. the place. Yeah, but not the not be- the living culture, right. not be- how they live, but what they talk about. I think folklore is they- perfect. He became this kind of story they tell. He's yeah. He's not a real person anymore and to he them. He taught he's- us this game, so we'll play this game right. instead. But this th- is this thing it, but- we do, and they don't really care what happened to him. It's right. just kind of it's just you know. But then we see because now Chief cares because what does Chief say when he comes back? I knew you wouldn't leave me. Yeah, and then Chief Mercy kills him. Right. Because Chief is like, well, I'm not letting you live like this. You know, they took you away. But boom. Yeah, what do you think about that? What do you think about that as far as an ending? And you know, mercy killing is a difficult kind of topic there with that. I mean, is, is, he, is he freeing McMurphy? Is he becoming a villain himself in taking matters into his own hands? So essentially, McMurphy has no effect on the ward, except on Chief. He's now chief. I knew you wouldn't do this, leave without me, right? Because chief was bummed out. So chief now is someone who says when McMurphy first tries to talk about breaking out, he's like, oh, I'm not as big as you. Now chief kills him. Now chief becomes the bigger one it's in this kind of dynamic where now chief has the balls to break out and run back into that beautiful wilderness. Yeah. You know, right or wrong, I think is a whole different Maybe the point is not to get stu- caught up in the right or wrong. I think the to it, it or the or you know what 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 that does to you. I think it's about his spirit, right? And it's symbolism for releasing his spirit. And you're not going to become hills have eyes, right? Exactly. Um, Where you're just laying in a bed having IV Jameson. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You're hoping for the one day when the next McMurphy right. comes Here's in. Here's the, the highlight of your day. We'll have a we'll have we'll we'll have Jim Beam mainline <laughs> into your vein. You know, because you have this guy who was you know at. The last time we see him, whatever the time difference is, is larger than life to now he's a vegetable. Yeah. You know, so what is this? Because how much of that is also chief selfishness is if I can't handle you being this person. Yeah. Or is it you, you know, that light has gone out from you. I don't think you would want to be this person. So I'm going to end it for you. Yeah. You didn't leave me here. Therefore, I'm not leaving you here. Right. Um, because I can't take you with me now. Yeah. I can't. Because we're, I'm going to Canada. Yeah. This you're a vegetable. I can't back you up to Canada. No, no. So I, I'm getting out of here. If I leave you here, I'm ditching you like I thought you did. And I felt like shit when I thought you did that. Yeah, so we're not doing the same. Yeah. And, so and, we're leaving together. Yeah. And, and we're, we're both exercising us ourselves from this place. Right. You know, I don't want to go out in Canada and know that you're back there and, and they're, you know. Right. Hold on. That you're, this. You're, you're, you're leaning neck up against the wall while the guys, while the guys waltzing with himself around right you, where you mancini's know. drooling on you and martini's throwing yeah. cigarettes at you and harding's yeah. talking to you because now harding is the power of it yeah and how yeah. much of it and i mean that um, does the institution win 
with that? Because I in The Shining, the, the institution wins, right? The institution, well, the institution, the institution wins over over Jack Nicholson. Well, that's what I'm but, saying. Does but it doesn't win over The she, Shining. It doesn't win over Danny and no, but and it's Wendy. over Torrance. Um, it does over Torrance, right? And in One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest, it wins over McMurphy, but, but it, it doesn't, doesn't win over Chief. Chief. There is life and good outside that, of that that exists beyond the institution. But I think that the problem with Jack Nicholson's character in One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest, as you said, like he rode too close to the opposite side of the spectrum, where he let order he let order. Be absent from his life, and he right. let chaos run his life. He was all um, chaos, but Chief yeah, gets and, out. And and honestly, I mean, there's, I mean, listen, if we were to do this this shining comparison again, there's a lot of symbolism for alcohol abuse there too. I mean, in both, you know, I mean, it, in it, the shining is all about right. is all about very um, cleanly. Yeah, very cleanly, all about alcohol, but, especially the book, but the movie too. You know, his his alcohol abuse. Overcomes I mean, him and and black and white in in one flew's cuckoo's nest. Literally, he gets too drunk to leave. Right. I mean, it, it it is in a more in a less like symbolic and right. more like flat out way. Flat the out, dude could just stay on his feet. Right, he he'd be gone. And right, he'd be saved to be free, and this would all just That's be a, a story he'd and tell. Any time he has connection with the outside world, alcohol's involved. Yeah, anytime he touches the outside world, there is alcohol. Yeah, when he talks about. The fifteen-year-old girl, always yeah. something, and, and it's that, just and that conquers him. And even if it's not alcohol in itself, it's vice, right? He brings yeah. in gambling, mm -hmm. he brings in alcohol, sexual deviance, all these different things that are just taking him out of a functional life. Yeah, and you know, we'll talk about. We want to bring up alcohol again. We talk about Chief's one little monologue about his father, and it's basically alcohol. He drank till he was blind, right? You know, and, and how much of Chief it, mercy it, it, killing. McMurphy is him trying to also save his father. his father. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Chief's obviously uh, not going to be drinking on the outside. Right. You know, he visit. And Wendy Torrance is not a drinker. And, exactly. You know, uh, you so know, alcohol in, is excised we, from We them. learn in Dr. Sleep that Danny is. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and he grows up to, to oh, that's be interesting. more of his father than his mother. So we're here at the end. MVP of the movie. It's Jack's movie. It's Jack's movie. It's Jack's movie. It's Jack's movie. I can't. It's Jack. Yeah, I mean, I think that if, if you're going to put up a... a Unless do we take MVP, Jack out of it, then argue secondary MVP. Well, we'll do that. We'll do that. But who's the closest to competing with Jack? Is I think you'd have to go with, of course, his, his, um, Nurse his adversary in there. It's and Nurse, Ratchet, Nurse Ratchet. And then I think we go Billy. Does, does Nurse Ratchet do enough to even get in the conversation to compete with Jack Nicholson no. for MVP? No. It's Jack's movie. Yeah. If you yeah. take Jack out of it, because if it's just so clear that it's Jack, then I think there's an argument for her versus Billy. But can I, you can you argue the director over Jack in this? Because now again, we're talking about this is one of the three movies that won right. best director, best picture, best actor, best actress, and best writing. We didn't talk about the writers at all. I just want to give them a quick rundown. Lawrence Hobbin, who this is actually his only credit, really the only movie wow. he wrote on. It was he. There were co-writers. Bull Goldman is the more famous one. Uh, he won the Oscar. Um, for, for this movie. He also won the Oscar for Melvin and Howard in 1980. I, I, no, no, for no. the same... Yeah, I don't know that movie. Uh, and he was also nominated for Sense of the Woman. He wrote Sense of the Woman, too. Which okay. is a, you know, Al Pacino, solid one. And he um, also okay. wrote uh, Shoot to the Moon, City Hall, and Meet Joe Black. Oh. 1998. Okay. Um, you, know, you, know, uh, you know, the writing to me is... You know, they win Best Picture for adapting a book and do the right... You know, 
I think that the story is in the original book, and then and then the directing takes right, off and especially there. since they didn't turn the camera off, that's directing. Yeah, stuff. and and it's the, and the even method just act, creating the environment right. for the method acting, and right what, down to to Devito's character, and right, and even the end scene where when Chief leaves, he runs into the same scene we started with, so the whole thing comes full circle, which is a really nice touch. Yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, I think that I think the director has more of an argument over Louise Fletcher. Yeah, so he's probably getting the silver medal there. Um, I would say Louise Fletcher bronzes it. I'm now, a... if if we're going like strictly with supporting actors, um, Billy. Yeah, it's Billy. Billy you could argue and... Chief. I, I would willingly accept Chief. a Chief, but it's you Billy. Chief, but it's Billy because he he kind of he he embodies the main conflict within the movie, mm-hmm. and which leads me to our last and final Batman reference going on in this. And this is in just in doing some some brief research for this is something I had no clue was even a thing, but Burton was in line to do a third Batman movie. Really, a Batman yes. and Robin? Uh, it, it was called Batman. I, I I might be wrong on this one. I think it's Batman Continues. Okay. Okay. That would actually work. Third right, one. Sure. So yeah, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Continues, and um, directed we're going to be directed by Burton. And Brad Dorif was going to play the, sca- the Scarecrow. Really? And he was going to be the main villain in that yeah. one. The project was scrapped, and then Schumacher took over and did um, Batman Forever, starring Val I Gilmer. really yeah, much Keaton, would have... Keaton washes his hands of it. Burton washes his hands of it. Schumacher takes over. You get the Val Kilmer Batman. I Jimmy really Barry. would have preferred Billy as Scarecrow. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, as a as a young kid, I was very happy to see Jim Carrey. Oh, I loved it as a young kid. As an uh, adult, it does know, not. I could I could do it with or without the. Um, that does not carry over. Dead Tommy Lee Jones, but but um, Drew Barrymore as Harley Quinn. Is that is that yeah. a thing? Oh yeah. Drew Barrymore's in Batman. Yeah. Batman Forever. Wow, I did not even know that. Uh, Great soundtrack, by the way. Excellent and soundtrack. The um the first the first CD I ever bought, by the way. Really? The Batman Forever soundtrack. Kiss from a Rose by Seal. Hold Me Through Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2. Smash It Up. Yeah, that's uh, a cover by, by the Offspring. That, oh, not as okay. They were Sugar and Spice, not Harley Quinn. Okay, but that is the Harley Quinn yes. character. To the to the Two Face. Yeah. Yeah, and that's Batman Forever. Or Batman yeah, Robin. Batman Forever. Yeah, Batman Forever. Wow. This is a tough question here because it's such a well acted movie and it's such a well put together movie. Um, can you pick out an LVP here, even if it's a um, an entity of the movie? If it's not necessarily, I mean, we Scatman. Well, okay, <laughs> all right. You know what, man? That's my answer too. And I hate it. It, it pains me to say that because I love Scatman. I love Scatman. I love him in Silver Streak with Gene Wilder. But in this Breyer. movie, Scatman uh, is the LVP. You know why? For me, he, is, gets, pu- he gets pushed around. He's a nothing. There's a, there's an illogical element to his character right. I, there's a it, to me the there's a plot we, we we talked to part of the plot issues all over the place the the one to me the one major plot issue here is there's no way this guy is going to be that loosey-goosey just to flirt this with a couple of girls and go and this is literally he's literally opening the, the an asylum right. to the outside he's breaking the law party. this guy has been he's there he's breaking the law this yeah, guy's been there be for years to be prosecuted right for this. this guy they could blame him for billy's death Here's the thing. He's taking the fall for Billy's death a whole lot quicker than Nurse Ratchet is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and yeah, it's tough, man. Another another one where Scatman Crothers gets the raw deal and gets the axe. The axe in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, and I, I I do because really outside of him, none of the characters, like none of the patients in the movie, none of them could, are close to an LVP. Sc- 
Scatman plays the role great because he because he's entertaining. He's great. You, you love him. He puts a big smile on the face. But that character. But he's a man without a spine. Yeah, that character is tough to. To it, decently it, it's, good it's looking. It's a little bit of a plot device. You know, it's right. kind of like, well, we need this thing to go. We shit need a fall guy. Yeah, so, uh, hey, Scatman, come on in. This is a tough one, too, man. Scene of the film. What, what, like, when, when, if you don't watch this again for another 10 years, what's the scene that's gonna, the first thing that comes up, you're gonna go, boom, it's that. Like, that's the first thing I think of. I think the best, like, film scene is the one we talked about before when Jack and just the silence. But I think okay, yeah, from a yeah, okay. when, when, with the window open behind him and you hear yeah, the so outside. That's like work, a sh- the best shot. That's the that. best shot, yeah, okay. but best scene. Yeah, most memorable thing that's gonna stick out to you from this Be- uh, boat is the boat scene. Yeah, that's a good answer. And you know, I love them coming back with those two giant fish. You know what it is? And it, it, it's the fish. It's everything. It's it's everything with Billy. And the other part of it is when they're first going on and the the boat the. Marina guys, like, what are you guys doing? It's the first. You see a bunch of doctors. They got. To, and, oh God, we forgot this. This is so good. But I, this is this is just one of the. I just popped huge for this. This is great. But that's when you Dr. see Doctor Cheswick, Doctor Martini, Doctor Mister Harding, Doctor <laughs> and his fate. Oh, you get, everyone's a doctor just except defeated. for Harding, just because he knows it'll get yeah. under his skin. He's like the one guy, and you can see him coming up to him. He's ready. He's right, he's straight. so he's proud. Like, oh, he's I'm be the peacocking, uh, Mister Harding. Ah, uh, Dr. Martini. Doctor, uh, classic stuff. Classic stuff. But my, it, my, my scene uh, of the movie is the scene of him describing the World Series to the yeah. crew and them cheering along. That's a really good call, too. Yeah, I mean, just to me, that's just what I, I remember from it. It's the, you, you kind of melt into your seat during that. that it's excellent. And, and I mean, that's just, that's just Jack being a movie star. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. A good actor can't do that scene. You need a great actor to do that scene. And I think that's where you, that's. You don't see a lot of those scenes, but that's one of them where like it takes somebody who's just better at this than everybody else to do it. Yeah. Now for for the schmaltz factor of this movie, uh, and and you know we didn't the departed there wasn't really anything too schmaltzy in there, but is there anything in this that's a little too feel good, a little too Disney Magic Kingdom for you here? Well, the first thing you brought up was the keys in the ignition. Uh, okay, well, that, yeah, that's just a flat up plot hole. Like you know, that's not like yeah, that. that, that. But otherwise, is it a feel good movie? It's. Not a feel good no. movie. No, I, I'm, I'm thinking otherwise. I think the one scene that's a little schmaltzy, and, I, and like I said, I, I just, I just, just said I loved it, but it's, it's kind of, it's, is the they catch the gigantic fish. You oh, know, yeah. like it's just kind of like, all right, you know, we got, you know, them, them coming back and landing the boat in one piece, and yep. not, and not going boats and hose into the dock is like that's enough of a victory in itself. But them catching the fish when fish. they got the thing on the hook and just the chaos and excitement. Yeah, it's a fun scene. They're not catching two of them. Oh, yeah, like the second one. There's, there's the schmaltz factor. We only two. It's like, no. oh, we did this. Oh, great. Do it again. Like, like, if they broke, it would have. I think it would have been much more realistic if all that fight and chaos and there was a. Yeah, good. You can't see me, but it's like fish, you know? I'm pretty. My hands like 18 inches apart. Yeah. Like an 18 inch, like I appropriate mean, when, size. When did fish. the second one get caught? You know, it's like. <laughs> Like, you guys can... Cheswick Hart cannot handle a second one of right. that. Right, oh my goodness. Yeah, so I think that's the only real kind of schmaltz okay. thing. Because it's, it's not it's a pretty surreal, like, cutting-edge type of movie. It's because not, it goes right yeah. at it. There's no bullshit. There's no, like, hey, look, we're so happy. Or, you know, there's there's not a lot of pretty in this. Mm-mm. Chief gets out, but what does Chief's looks like? Chief's life looks like he's a seven-foot-tall Native American running to Canada. <laughs> You kind of outlined a um, uh, diagnosis, a synopsis, a diagnosis of, of... So I, I went through this because, you know, 
This is what I do. So I went through a bunch of things. Antisocial personality disorder. This is a McMurphy's. McMurphy this is McMurphy. Oh yeah, sorry. This is McMurphy's diagnosis, right? Antisocial personality disorder. You could also call it a sociopath. And I'll go into the difference of sociopath and psychopath yeah. in a second. So with antisocial personality disorder, we're looking at a pervasive pattern of disregard for and the violation of, hum of rights of others occurring since the age of 15. So this guy's been that's, in prison. That's textbook. There's violence. Yeah. We know all these things, right? So there's then seven categories. To, for this diagnosis, three have to hit. And quick spoiler alert, he hits all seven. <laughs> so the first one. Failure to confirm to social norms with respectful, lawful behaviors. The guy's a pedophile, sexual deviant. He fights. He's been in prison. He's maybe lying. Again, we said before, he might have worked himself into a shoot and got yeah. into this. Now, No regards for rule of authority right. whatsoever. Yeah, he's, but then there's also the, the appearance of charmingness, which is sociopathic behavior. Now, number two, deceitfulness is indicated by repeated lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure. He made a whole bet that he was going to make Nurse Ratchet so crazy she didn't know what to do with her watch. Yeah. Right? That was his thing. The guy just lies. He a smooth-talked scat man into... Right. Manipulates scat... Letting in outsiders and turning the party. Convinces the girl to have sex with Billy. Yep. yep. Just, and, then, and then also convinces scat man then to go out right. and lie to the, to the night nurse coming in and checking and right. making sure just, everything's okay. Just lying. Number three. Impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. I mean, well, yeah, we've yeah. talked about this in Matt. Let's, yeah. I'm not going to waste I anybody's mean, he, time. He lets, you know, he lets a, uh, he lets a prison escape go down over a bottle of Jim Beam. That's as failure to plan as it gets. Exactly. Yeah. So right there, those three things he is diagnosed, but we're going to keep going. Number four, irritability and aggressiveness as indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. Again, why does he say to Dr. Spivey he's there fighting and fighting fucking, fucking doctor? But also, you see throughout the movie, he has no frustration tolerance. When people aren't listening, he starts throwing things. At least I tried, didn't I? It's just everything. He's very reactive. Nothing about him is thought out. He's all impulse. He's all, it's just, it's bad. Reckless, next, reckless disregard for safety. The boat breaking out. The Jim, yeah. Jim Beam into a cycle. Now how the about, other. How about scaling the, the right. fence and hanging on a bunch of branches that could he's, break into his head? He's not. Mancini looked like he was sixty, standing on his shoulders. Yep. The other thing we didn't talk about: nineteen sixties psychotropic medications, when mixed with alcohol, could kill people. Well, yeah, right. So <laughs> and he's give it. He's, he's streamlining. Yes, streamlining. <laughs> Next one. Consistent irresponsibility, as indicated by repeated failures to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations. Again, this is his entire life. Yeah. And then number seven, lack of remorse, as indicated by being indifferent or rationalizing, having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. The only time he's not like this is with Billy and sort of with Cheswick. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though, too, with like, I don't see remorse in his actions at the end with Billy. He turns it into anger toward the nurse. Right. He literally... But that's for him what remorse you know, is. Yeah. For yeah. normal people, yeah. that's not remorse. He, yeah, he, he transposes it onto someone else. Right, he pushes it because he can't... Hit. He's not equipped to handle with a real emotion, so he turns it into anger because anger's yeah, easy. Yeah, he, he, Billy killed himself because of you, what you did, right. not because of what I did. Right, even though I'm and the true reality, catalyst for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, psychopath you know, versus this, right? Psychopath doesn't have a conscience. If he lies to you so he can steal your money, he won't feel any moral qualms, though he may pretend to. A psychopath has some sort of conscience, but it's super weak. 
it goes back to Billy and Cheswick. That's the difference here. And that's why I went with what I did. Yeah. I, and that's that's spot on and a detailed uh, and textbook evidence of why it's a masterful performance. Crushed it. Uh, well, Crushed it's, it. It's written great. It's directed phenomenally. And it is just acted to perfection. Eventually, at some point here, as we get into these, we'll start putting them in order. I mean, two episodes in, this is number one. Well, um, I love The know. Departed, but yeah, this but is... come on, this is to me. I, and I said, spoiler in the beginning, I mean, this is gonna be one of my favorites here with this. I feel like it's underrated. I feel like it doesn't come up in conversation. It doesn't enough. come up in conversation enough. Um, you know, I think if this if this were released in theaters today, how would it go over? Great. I think it would go over great. I think it would be right up there. With I the think top people movies. would be blown away. I think people would be like, "Wow, this really nailed what 1963 meant." It's not dated. Is. It's no. it's it's cemented in a time that, but it, that exists 12 years before the movie comes out. Yep. But it's I mean, not dated. It helps shooting a movie 10 years before. So he's picking a date and he's, you know, he's basing it on a date. Whereas something like, um, you know, like next episode's movie, Rain Man, which is shot in, in and supposed to take place in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, at, at, at I mean, that suit, 80s, those, those you know, suits coming down the escalator, that is. And there's right. clothing that are like, this is a little rough. Like nobody uh, wears but, a suit with a, that wide of a tie anymore. Yeah. Like that, yeah, or the uh, second DeLorean reference. Or a car where the doors come up like the DeLorean. <laughs> the wings. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so there is a dated nature to, to, to something when you go right now in what we're doing. We talked about that last week, The Departed, too, about just the technology, but that was dated in a great way where right. it's like, the flip oh, phones yeah, no, pe- no, no, the, 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 the children T9. need to know what flip phones were. And what T9 you, is. You, and I you had could... a razor, damn it, you know, and, and, and you know. It, the it, T9 it, in the pocket yeah, to say that. Yeah, <laughs> Oh, we love, we all remember Artie's segment on that. With the Oscars, too often people get into, oh yeah, well you know the Oscars never get it right, and this especially year been that year should have been right. that, and this year should have been that, and that's a different conversation. We're not doing that. We're talking about these movies. Some of them are great. Some of them are okay. Some of them are not so good. Some of them don't hold up. This one does. We're gonna bring up a couple great movies here, and I think there are probably maybe people who, who would disagree that this should have won. Believe it or not, uh, but. So One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest is a nominee. Stanley Kubrick has a movie in this one, too. Is Barry Lyndon. Going back to The Shining. Barry Lyndon. I did not see Barry Lyndon. Did you I see Barry, seen Lyndon? Barry Lyndon? I don't even know. I know about movie. it. Yeah. An Irish rogue wins the heart of a rich widow and assumes her dead husband's aristocratic position in 18th century. So he was a... Uh, what is he? Oh, he just kind of... He, like, takes the place of another yeah. guy. Yeah. So, no, that doesn't look good. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's... Well, it's Kubrick, so I'm sure it's worth it, but yeah, no. Yeah, timepiece. Um, Nashville, which we've mentioned uh, a little before, which I have not seen. Robert Altman, who uh, he pops up as a runner-up quite a bit in this. But Ned Beatty's in that. I haven't so seen Nashville, but I, I mean, I know it's. I know it's. It's a real good one. That that um, always gets talked about, like top yeah, movies, like yeah, that. That yeah, that that's whole. That, I, I we'll check out a little bit. Dog Day Afternoon, then, right? Dog Day Afternoon. Nashville, just real quick. Over the course okay. of a few hectic days, numerous uh, interrelated people prepare for a political convention as secrets and lies are, are uh, surfacing revealed. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Now, okay, Dog Day Afternoon. So I, I love Dog Day. I need to confess that I have I not it. seen it. I uh, Pacino, uh, Sidney Lumet. Uh, who... There's a very famous scene, um, the Attica scene, with Pacino, and the bank robbery scene. You've seen this? Uh, no, I, I really. I, You've I, never I, seen I the don't scene? Even know the plot? Of okay. Dog, I hate to say it. I'm really like okay. myself here. Pretty much a really bad criminal tries to. Accidentally gets pe- holds people hostage, and it's awesome. Really, <laughs> it's I mean, worth that's worth a watch. It's yeah. Pacino. There's a really good scene of chanting Attica, 
there's chaos. Like you, you'll see it, and there's going to be clips of things you've seen that pop culture has stolen. I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with a bank robbery movie, personally. I, I 100 percent agree. Uh, you give a, me a bank uh, robbery movie, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I mean, you know, whether you got Clive Owen robbing the bank or whatever, or if it's uh, my favorite episode of Burn Notice is probably a bank robbery. Den of um, Thieves. A is man robs a bank to pay for his lover's operation, which turns into a hostage situation and a media circus. Uh, that's one that I will pick up on a snowy worth, day this winter for sure. It's worth it, and I will. Uh, it's it's a, it. and it's just Pacino at a really good young, just just killing it. Yeah, directed by Sidney Lumet. Because especially at this point, everybody Another just big runner up right. did, did Twelve Angry Men and Murder in the Orient Express. And then we have a movie I very much have seen. You have the argument here. You have the argument here for sure, and that's Jaws, um, Steven Spielberg's. Masterpiece, one of the few horror movies nominated for Best Picture. Um, Very deservedly so. Man, just one floor of the cuckoo's nest is better. It, it is, it is. But um, Jaws, this made Steven Spielberg. It, this. Yeah, it's it's. Now, when was the last time you watched Jaws? Probably, uh, probably about five years ago. I um, watched it a year ago. It holds up. Now, now, right, year goes right around when we went to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, all I watched right. it the summer before. Okay, all right, so you got prepared for Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> and I've jumped yeah, off the to, Jaws Bridge. Like, to, yeah, Martha's Vineyard for a wedding. Yeah. And, um, now, our friend Grant's going to be real mad at us about this. But I think One Flew Over the Cuckoo. I think the appropriate movie won, but I think there's an argument for Jaws. Yeah, I mean, Jaws, I mean, if you talk about impact today, I mean, Jaws still impacts the way people view oh, movies. Oh, that music? You don't, people who haven't, people who don't know what the movie is, they hear that music, they know something bad's coming. Yeah, and he just, he just encapsulates horror in a way where you don't have to see what you're afraid of. It made you, you know? scared of the unknown, which it, is genius. Yeah, yeah, and you just, you don't have to show it. And that's where horror goes wrong today, is that there's too much show. And, and in the 70s, and that's where it was going talent. wrong. It was all just this nonsense. And then you and now you, but now you have the CGI that you can right. really make whatever you want. You make every goblin right. demon you want and to you, come out of the corner. And there's the just corner. this subtle movie that's just so beautiful. It, it just, just, and it's how great it was done. Another movie that encapsulates that pretty well, too, and I cannot believe I found two ways to tie this movie into this podcast, uh, is, um, is Child's Play. And the original Chucky. Now, I'm not talking Bride of Chucky. No, the I'm original. not talking about WCW Nitro Chucky. Red <laughs> Dorith voices, by the way. He has a WCW credit as the voice on that um, in his battle with the Steiner brothers. Um, you uh, Is that the goal of this podcast? Talking about the Steiners? Steiner. Right. Uh, no, uh, but so... Again, not Bride of Chucky, not Seed of Chucky. The original, the original Child's Chucky. Play. It's an unbelievable. They don't show the doll. Right. You know, they show the doll's perspective, and you get this like, oh shit! Like this is what is going on here. Right. Not a Best Picture nominee. No, but uh, but you know, not even. But a really good but, horror movie. But a real, a really that whole, that, well like done a classic movie. That, yeah. No, listen, Jaws is excellent. Anyone who says Jaws isn't anything but excellent is wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. Right. It's, and, you're, I've you're, that, and I've recently had that battle with my brother, and I think I. Just got him to top, tap out recently. I mean, you're, that's that's a wrong take. Yeah, but right. we're looking at movie. I mean, one flew over the cuckoo's nest is. I yeah, think the right movie the, won. The right movie won. Um, and that kind of goes to my next one. That I'll ask you because you know you're, you're not gonna be here for all uh, all ninety of these. Um, should we get there? Um, just on that on that just in a vacuum scale, one to ninety, one being the best best picture winner, ninety being the worst best pick winner. You haven't seen them all, but if you just kind of do that generic slot for each one, off the top of your head, where do you think a movie like this might slot in? One or 90? I'm going to think it's top 10. Yeah. 
I'd have to look at the list. This is not looking at the list. Yeah, no, no. But, but the, I'm the, going, the function of this is not to look at this. It's just, to, just, to, just a random kind of eye I'm test. I'm thinking probably 10 to 15. I got to be honest, and I have seen all these. Right, I, you've seen I them. would be pretty shocked if it's not top 10. Um, I think it's got a shot to be... I bet there's going to be... Top, see, top five is tough. I think it's going to be top 10. Yeah, it, I, I would be shocked if it's not top it's, 10. I, it might fall just short of top five, but I think it's in that five to 10 range. You know, there's some old movies that I haven't seen that I, I don't... You know, you've seen them all, but that five are... Five is tough to crack because you're, you're talking both Godfathers right. and Lawrence for Arabia right in the gate. So there's this... You put those... Those three are, are almost certainly in there. That only leaves two more slots. And then, you know, we're talking about... You know, night uh, eighty-seven. You know, going on eighty-eight different movies, trying to get into those two spots. So it's tough to just give them top, top five. But I, I would, I would say it's going to probably it's be, be top, in the top 10. ten. You know, and I'm uh, just going to argue that Shawshank should be on this list. But yeah, well, again, you know, that's the, you know, that's <laughs> that's probably, a whole different conversation. I know it's not about who should have won. And Shawshank should have won. And that is a, a tricky one because also I love um, Forrest Gump. I just love Shawshank. I love Pulp Fiction also. Um, right, Pulp Fiction's also. Man, and I just go and wonder if. Will Shawshank be brought up in every single one of these episodes? Because we're two for two so far. And we brought and him up early. Will play be brought up in every one of these? I mean, and th that's also the second Shawshank reference today. Because we, we said yeah, Harding was yeah. it's pretty much Andy Dufresne without an alcohol problem. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> any closing thoughts? I mean, uh, I no. think we both agree that this is a better movie than The, the Departed. Yeah. yeah but I love so. The Departed. I mean, listen, if I go down, if I go to, you know... Right now it's uh, almost midnight. I, I go down to my room to go to bed and departed starting. I'm gonna be up it's, till three a.m. Yeah, watching the departed. So you know that I love it. Um, I you know when people say they don't like it, I get it. But I, I just think one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I think there's something special about how good it really is. Uh, I, I agree, and it totally stands the test of time. And which is really impressive for a movie made in 1975 about 1963, which we talked about. But it, it really holds up now, and it feels like it could be a movie today. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Joe, this was uh, this was a blast. Yeah, uh, it was a lot awesome. of fun, man. Thank you. Uh, if you have any reactions to this, feel free to email us at bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Yeah, we want to hear what you think. We'll, we'll take the trolls. We'll take the hate. We'll take the love. Yeah, argue with us. We're ready for yeah, it. Yeah, we're not. You know, we're not perfect here at this. We will mix up Bobby Darren and Frank Sinatra <laughs> and <laughs> three times <laughs> and 1975 and 1976. Don't and tell us what your favorite scenes are because maybe we missed something. Absolutely. Thanks again. This is the Best Picture Podcast. And uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next week for Rain Man. Thank you. <laughs>